Hello everyone, and this is not a normal introduction. Just wanted to let you know that there is a couple of minutes of Alex and I joking around. I found this to be incredibly funny listening back on it, so I wanted to keep it in there as a little bit of like a blooper, kind of behind the scenes of us getting started. Uh, there is some language, it's all bleeped out, but it's just Alex and I joking around about a Demir deck, so if you're sitting there confused as to why the first two minutes of the podcast are just kind of random... Uh, it, it, it makes sense and uh, it transitions right into the cast but um, give us your feedback and what you think about stuff like this uh, I thought it was too good to, to cut and uh, yeah hope you guys enjoy it runs one main deck thought seize like what wait one main deck that's weird one main deck thought seize and one in the side it's like I don't know there should probably be thought seize in this list because people are going to yell at me otherwise <laughs> so just put one in the main one in the side like you get there you go buddies there's my thought seizes go f*** yourself <laughs> like I don't f- get it like is it because they're like hey this is a gear hulk plan I don't want any sorceries in this list they all need to be instanced i think the problem is just that he's too afraid of the top of his opponent's deck like with all these weird but then he's still only running like three sensors to negate for sinister sabotage yeah but he found the room to put three vrasses contempt and two glimmer of genius over the yeah you gotta cut something (laughs) jesus christ who cares just add three cmc to your slot what does this curve look like? I actually want to see what this curve looks like real quick. I'm going to it's it. disgusting, I'm sure. I love it. Uh, oh, I hate how Goldfish does the curve because they count the sideboard cards too when they look at the overall curve. <laughs> so it makes God, it always enter the god. Oh yeah, of course you can't have a third thought sees your sideboard because where else are you going to put your notion thief? <laughs> your one lesions end, your one noxious grasp, one your extra one negate. notion thief. Uh... Enter God, the God this person does some f***ing creative deck building. I love it. Summary dismersal? This looks like my lists. I love it. <laughs> this is how I built decks. Hmm. These are all good cards in my sideboard. Instead of trying to but figure I... out the most optimal way to have... <laughs> like... <of> each. Yeah. <laughs> your, your side, my sideboards sometimes look like wish boards, even though I don't have wish star- cards in my deck. I, I just imagine the person as they're building this deck just going, holy f***. I love magic cards so <laughs> much. <laughs> I need all of them in this deck. I'm surprised there's not 20 different one-ofs, like a toolbox, without any way of utilizing the toolbox besides drawing it. <sighs> Does this what person... if I top deck the right card at the right time? This is how this person eventually becomes a Soltai Delirium player because they just keep yes. dwindling down into like toolbox stuff in their main deck, and then they're like, "Well, I might as well just you know play green or splash green a little bit. I want to reverse." And all of a sudden, they're and like, "And I'll just well, play one of each." Yeah, and they're like, "Well, well, now I got to play Uro because you know whatever." And now Jace feels a bit better in this kind of list, and they just keep going, and all of a sudden you have growth spirals in your deck, and you're just like, "Hmm." <laughs> what have I become? And then you suddenly realize that everything's a forest, so you might as well put Nissa in there, and then... <laughs> God, that's like the evolution I had from Rakdos uh, Goblin Dark Dwellers into f***ing Jun Delirium. Oh my god. Alright, but let's get started, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, I have no idea what I'm going to say, but I don't care. We're going to do it. You could also just... Hello, everyone! Alex interrupt me! <laughs> Damn it! <laughs> hey! Hello. Uh, <laughs> what were you gonna say? No, just that's the. I'm just here to interrupt. Glad to have me back. Right. <sighs> Suppose we're starting again. 
Get no intro this week. What's up, guys? We're doing this. <laughs> We're doing it live. Okay. Uh, he's fired now. Um. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the Pioneer Perspective. As always, my name is Brad, and this week I am joined by both Alex and Matt. Matt is not available for the time being. He will be joining us later on in the episode. But for now, I do have Alex here. Alex, how are you? Hi. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm pretty good, actually. How are you? How about you? You know, my heart tells me just to say I'm tired, but that's my answer every single time. And, as, <laughs> and even though it's the truth... You're pulling the, the Ross Miriam here from the Pioneer, uh, the Pioneer cast. I think the first 25 episodes, he said, I'm tired at the start of every single episode. And I understand why now. Like, <laughs> oh my god, I am constantly tired. Um, but I am full of hope. I am full of excitement. I'm ready to talk about magic because we have Zendikar Rising officially live and out, but I know they said that the first run of the paper release for Zendikar was going to be uh, similar to Jumpstart. Yeah. Oh, uh, let's please hope it's not similar to Jumpstart. We won't have magic cards in Europe for like half a year. I believe we're still set to get our first set of Jumpstart in a lot of our stores. Isn't that beautiful? I read a it's Reddit like... thread, and people's like, oh, the second wave's going to be delayed, and the entire section, the comment section, was just people from Europe being like, wait, you guys have Jumpstart cards? <laughs> <laughs> it's like that meme where he's like, from, Yeah, that uh... meme, you guys are getting paid? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, but at least you don't need Jumpstart to play Pioneer, right? No. Which, we did talk about that a few weeks ago, uh, actually almost a month ago now. Uh, remember we were talking about if uh, Jumpstart... Or if instead of them going the historic route in Arena, they went the Pioneer route. So, like, would that have made Jumpstart a Pioneer legal set rather than a oh, historic no. set? I don't even want to think about that. My God. Oh, could you imagine goblins and, and Pioneer? No. Well, at least there's no Goblin Matron, I guess. Because that was an historic anthology, so that helps. Yeah. So it'd be significant. But they'd still have a Ringleader and stuff. So like, it'd be powered down. I think you've got Cranko. Cranko yeah. was from Return to Ravnica, I think. Yeah, and you also have newer Cranko if you really feel like it. The one nah. from uh, I don't even know what that one does to be honest. It's from guilds, I think. It's when you when you attack, regions. you put a counter on it, and then you make goblin tokens equal to his power. Was yeah, fun in bad. feather decks in standard. That feather decks played that. Yeah, in standard. You just play Cranko, and then you summit sprint it. You immediately attack and get four goblins. Well, I don't like it. Glad we're don't like anything anymore. <laughs> <laughs> right, so let's try and get into the decks because we've had two challenges. Yep. Um, we also had league results, but we decided not to really go into the league results because they're mixed with pre-Zendikar results, as far as we know. Because there were some decks in those lists which like, yeah, this, this should definitely have Zendikar cards in it and somehow doesn't. So we're going to assume these results were mixed or are mostly looking at the challenges, which were actually, I mean... Might as well uh, get into it and start talking about the winning decks first. And Pathway Lands, MVP. Yeah, this is uh, very telling. Um, I, I, I know I messaged uh, our group chat as well as uh, the admin chat on the Discord server. And um, yeah, I was very excited in the middle of the night looking at these uh, challenges to be like, oh my god, the two decks that won were the allied colored uh, decks. Yeah, like, I mean, it's still not 
perfect, especially the, the first one we might as well talk about is Celestia Auras. And that still runs four mana confluence in the mana base. So it's still not perfect, because if you, wanna, if you have to run mana confluence, you're a two-color deck. It's a little sketchy, but it's functional. You know, the aggro decks work. And that's a big difference than before the set, uh, before Zendikar came out, the decks just didn't function, and now they do. Yeah, and can you imagine what the like? This just heightens the idea of like what the impact will eventually be when we finally get the fast lands for the Alley Colors. Oh yeah, yeah. Because um, like I mean, we're getting the rest of the Pathlands, which are the Pathway Lands, whatever you want to call them, um, next year in Caldheim. It looked like they're saying. I thought it was going to be Caldheim. Yeah. Um, I but, hope it's going to be call time. Get these out as quickly as possible. We need this. Yeah, it, it's so weird though that they did a six, uh, six land. Uh, yeah, cycle. I was so surprised by it. It was like, why six? Like, yeah, it made me feel like they weren't completing the cycle, and then they're like, "Yeah, we're going to finish the cycle." And you're like, "Well, is it going to be a four land cycle on that? Are you going to have?" I don't know. I, I guess they had so many ideas for lands in call time that they were like, "We need to just." It's like they were building a commander deck, but then with sets. It's like, oh, what What can I cut to put one more cool <gasps> land in this call type I set? know why. It just hit me. So there was uh, some questions on Twitter with the release of Zendikar, at least when the full spoilers came out. Um, the the cycle of land... Not, they're not land, I'm sorry. The, uh, the cycle in Zendikar where they're like... Um, is it called Conscriptions? So yeah, they yeah, are? the Sultai color one. They, we only got the Sultai inscriptions. Yeah, uh, they they said that they tried designing or working on a red and a white one, but they didn't feel happy with the results or what they came oh, up with. Oh, so maybe they squeezed the lands into there because they're like, oh, we have more ideas from call time that we had to shelve and then just shove some lands in air. And... Yeah, they're like, well, we're, we're down a couple of cards anyway, so let's just, uh, to replace the red one, for example, let's just throw one extra land in there. Um, yeah. I mean, that could be it. I mean, as long as we finish it ASAP. But, yeah. you know, let's keep talking about the decks. So Celestiauras, which is... Um, I mean, everybody who's uh, familiar with Ors of Auras already knows 95% of the cards in this deck because Ors of Auras was effectively uh, mono-white, but it's splash black for a Hateful Eidolon, a few sideboard cards, and sometimes Ephemia. And this has just put a Glade Cover Scout in as it's a green one-drop. And everybody who plays Modern and has had to suffer through any match against Bogles, knows exactly what this card does. It's just a 1 mana 1 1. It's hexproof. Perfect to put some pants on, you know? Just slap on yeah. two Ethereal Armors, next turn slap on all the Glitters, your opponent's dead. That's it. It's kind of a perfect week 1 deck, right? Just the most straightforward aggro deck ever. Well, yeah, it was a... Uh, the Orzavora's list was already pretty well-positioned in the meta thus far. We are seeing it in the in the top eight decks, um, having a pretty good representation uh, over the last couple of weeks of Pioneer. So, yeah. Glade get... Cover Scout is just so good. Like, it, yeah, having actual it, Bogles in your Bogles deck is just it's so much better than protecting your This cards. is definitely a better one-drop than... Well, I'll use it's not better... even close. Like hateful Eidolon is just bad. Well, I was talking about um, uh, what's the other one drop? The, the favorite hoplite. Yeah, it's about that. That one's Still a bit pushed. more. That one's really fast. I guess that favorite hoplite gives you the faster kill. That's like it can give you like a turn two kill, turn three. Yeah, kill. this gives you the yeah that, because you can get like two or three more, like two more power on turn two, three more power on turn three or something. So you do get the quick kills with favorite hoplite. Yeah. 
That card's uh, but, just gone from this list. It runs fewer creatures, only 13. Yeah, and then the one of Adanto Vanguard, I mean, I I like this card out of the sideboard, main deck a couple, whatever you want to do in any auras list. I think it's just good enough to, to fit. Um, it's just good filler, really. You're like, yeah. oh, I'll just put in this other resilient creature. Like, you can never really go wrong putting Adanto Vanguard in a deck like this. And the biggest thing that they, they seem to have uh, made room for by cutting down the creatures, because usually it's around like 16, 17 creatures, um, yeah. they're jamming in four Season of Growth now. I mean, um, card's great. Yeah, it's a good card. Um, it, Yeah, because the Orzov build is pretty glass cannony with how your SRAM functions. If they kill the SRAM, you lose your kind of engine to kind of turn through your deck and you run out of gas pretty easily and you just start top decking and then when you start top decking a bunch of enchantments and no creatures that feels pretty bad um obviously you have lures to kind of you know use that mana and kind of try and get stuff back but they can kill that too season of growth allows you to you know start moving through your deck similarly in a way of how um feather functions right yeah i played a naya feather in standard at the time with season of growth and it was just, yeah. it felt so good once it got going. And you have and... like 12 scry effects in the deck, or like 16. Yeah, and you just effects. have 16 one mana auras. So yeah. you're, and Ethereal are, uh, no, uh, Sentinel's Eyes, just also one mana, just escape it if your car- creature got killed. Season of Growth out, just immediately start cantripping. I mean, there's, there's not much to say about the depth of the deck, really, is there? It's just, no, it's, it's play, about the play same. Play a scout, slap on auras win the game. I do love the Ornithopter in the sideboard, though. I was so surprised. Why, when do you bring in Ornithopter? I think you bring that in against a, a control matchup to get an extra threat on, and then it's a, it's evasive to kind of go over the top. Um, or maybe you can bring it in against a bigger creature deck. The flying is relevant. and uh... Yeah, I could see like you want the flying to be relevant. Might work there. Are there any um... of these... Uh... None of these these enchantment or these auras give lifelink, do they? Uh, no. Okay. By the way, quick shout out to whoever piloted this was uh, uh, Yashimoro, and actually won the first challenge, or at least one of the two challenges, and got fourth in the second one with the exact same 75. So this wasn't like a fluke. This deck is real. Like, you don't yeah. just top four and win two challenges if your deck is not good. We were talking about it before the cast, and I was uh, saying that I, uh, I'm i interested in uh, Abzan uh, auras. Um, I think the green is great to bring to the table, um, but I'm still interested in having access to like things like Thoughtseize and like Fatal Push out of the side. Um, I still think that's very powerful to be doing in this format, and I think you can make the mana work in that regard. I think it's functional. Probably. I, ju- I just don't know if it's necessary. I think you can, but I don't know if you should. I don't know if you want to, like... I don't know if it's worth the percentage of, like, games where you either take too much damage from your mana base and lose, like, in a race or something, or um, games where you just stumble on your colors. Like, I don't know if that actually outweighs some sideboard cards. Because I don't think, even if you go Abzan, I doubt you put Eidolon in your deck. Like, Hateful Eidolon. I think that's still just replaced by Glade Cover Scout. Yeah, Glade Cover Scout is, if you're going green at all, I think you have to run that card. Yeah, so um, you'll only be going black for sideboard cards. I might I might do Ephemia instead of a Dante Vanguard in that utility slot. I really like Ephemia more in most regards. 
I mean, maybe it's just because I'm a control player and I've lost to this card way too much. Like, I've lost more cards to it onto Vanguard than I'd like to admit. So well, That's why I like it out of the side. Um, I like Ephemia a bit better in the main deck because it can be a little bit more flexible. Um, I don't know. This is definitely going to stick around. It's probably... Yeah, I well, mean, if you if you go to some sort of tournament, you should probably be prepared for this. It's also a very nice entry-level deck. Uh, yeah. We talked about this a little bit before, where, like, Burn, for example, was quite a good entry-level deck to the format, because it's kind of just do whatever the hell you want, and, you know, you, you're just going to win games by virtue of what your deck does. This deck is the same, and it might yeah. even be better at that. If If you just... You're either not too knowledgeable in the format, or maybe you play modern Bogles because you like, you know, hurting your opponent's feelings in literally every format. <laughs> but it's just an easy deck. Just pick up, play things, slap on some boots. Let's go. Uh, speaking of quick deck, quickly get on the field, slap your opponent in the face. Um, the other challenge was won by someone by the name of Mogged, which, by the way, great name. Um, Playing Atarka Red, which is a bit of a classic, or you could call it Bushwhacker Red, but it only runs two Bushwhackers, so it's like two whack. It's just Gruel Aggro. You just got your Elvish Mystics, you've got your eight Elves, uh, Burning Tree Emissary, Bone Crusher Giant, Rebel Man, uh, Legion Warboss, Bushwhacker. And then for some reason, this person decided to put Questing Beast and Glorybringer in their 21 land deck, which I find. Um, Interesting, to say the least, but this person won a challenge, and I can't say I ever did. So, maybe there is some logic to that? It's to me, it just sounds like drunk deck building. Like, why aren't there more Bushwhackers in your deck? Like, there's only two Bushwhackers in this deck. Like, turn one, do whatever the hell you want. Turn two, Burning Tree, Burning Tree, Bushwhacker. Or Burning Tree, One Drop, Bushwhacker. It's just so good. So I'm very surprised to see... Uh, to see only um, two bushwhackers yeah. and the high curve, but I mean, it's another deck we've talked about a lot. Yeah, Gruel aggro. Gruel's always been a deck that's been just right there. It's just you lose so many games because game trail is horrible. Yeah, there's no game trails in this deck anymore. Can you imagine? Imagine, imagine now if you're a Gruel player, you swapped your game trails for your uh, pathways, you draw an opening hand, and you see two pathways, and you're like, this would have been a mulligan before Sendakar came out, and I'd have been sad. And now I'm oh, happy, because my deck works. I mean... So also, there's only notice. two Embercleave. Like, slapping your Embercleave onto Warboss, like, or Rebelmaster. Like, this deck just confuses me with the numbers, but as you pointed out, most Gruel decks have that effect. <laughs> yeah, if you go over... Like, if you just go to Goldfish, you go to, like, the tournament uh, search thing, and then you just put in, like, you know, decks containing... Uh, like Rabble Master or like or just a, a decks that contain a Targus command because all the Gruels decks play, have play that. Um, and you just look through all the Gruel lists in Pioneer that have been relevant in the last like year and what the numbers they run are. They're always so weird. I have seen so many decks that just look like they had. It's like you when you're doing the uh, Zendikar top ten list. And you're like, okay, I have 40, 40 cards and I got to try to figure out how to do this. Except they did it in a way that they have them all thrown up on a wall. And they're like, okay, dartboard. And they just throw. <laughs> and they're like, okay. I mean, it's the most cruel way to build a deck. Like, you don't want to think about your deck building too much. You just want to get in there and smash people in the face. And Mog did exactly that. He, he won. 
Uh, one thing yeah. I do want to mention before we go on to the other decks, um, no mana confluence in this. And they're running the one rootbound crag too. I, I guess so. it just works. Like it runs a few more lands than the the Ors of Aris deck does. That's a 19 land deck. This is a 21 land deck. Uh, it has the elves, and it's also a little less uh, color dense. Like when you're playing your Aurus deck, you're effectively playing a mono white deck that yeah. like occasionally casts a green spell. So you really don't want to have any forests in this deck. And see this deck, it just has a 6-6 six, six split between forests and mountains, because there's green cards, there's red cards, there's plenty of colorless costs in the deck, there's hybrid costs in the deck. So your yeah. mana is less stretched. So this just works. I mean, this is probably still going to lose some games to itself. So still, like, if they ever get fast lands, pain lands for Gruul, like, these decks are going to get even better. And they're already competitive. See, they're already winning challenges. So to then maybe start talking about, do you want to add anything talking about these cards before we move on to the next one? Not to this list. I'm looking at another list right now, and I'm just trying to understand why it suddenly did well in a challenge. Um, And what list is it? It's the um, technically teamer list um, from the same challenge on the 20th. It just says URG by Arkays. Um, it's a uh, oh, a merge this is, list. This is a merge. Yeah. And I've but played it's like a merge, merge. But I don't understand why it's suddenly good. There's no new cards in this list, unless I'm overlooking something. Yeah, there are no new cards in this list. I mean, this might just be a case of, like, this person might, like, pilot it more often. It's never really a bad deck. No. Uh, like, the Fierce Empath include is very nice. Uh, I'm sure people, but we can, we can uh, quickly repeat it, what Emerge refers to, uh, because it tends to only run one Emerge card. So the main culprit here is Elder Deep Fiend. So what it does, it's an eight-mana colorless card that says with flash, and when you cast it, you tap four permanents your opponent controls. But it has emerge for five and uh, blue and a blue. And what you can do is you can sacrifice a creature that you own, and then uh, take that mana cost and take a take the emerge cost, and then minus the mana cost of whatever you sacrificed. So let's say you sacrifice a five drop to play your elder deep fiend. It's actually only two blue mana. So you run cards like Champion of Wits. Uh, Jade Light Ranger, Fierce Empath. Uh, there's even Nimble Obstructionist in here, and you just try and like play like some dorky card with an Enter the Battlefield effect, and then you evolve it into a big Eldrazi. And this can just yeah. get people, I guess. Uh, I like the Land of War Visionary as well as a as an emerge target because you can tab it for the mana it produces and then sack it to essentially function as a four mana uh, emerge target rather than just a three mana. Yeah, like, I, I wouldn't say, like, this deck suddenly became good. I think this is either someone who just had a good run, or someone who's good at piloting the deck, or just run into good matchups. Right, this is this is a thing you can do when you go into a new format. It's like, people are trying out new stuff, and you're just like, well, I know this deck well, I can pilot it, and I can maybe pound some people who are playing untuned decks. Well, I want to toot my own horn real quick. Um... What deck did I say Lotus Cobra was probably going to go into in Pioneer? Burrow Shells? 
I know Aeroshells. Uh, uh, you were you weren't on the cast when I made these uh, claims. I don't think. I think this is when you were gone. I I kept saying uh, Winota. And uh, yeah, we're looking at Naya mid range. Uh, same same challenge. Four Lotus Cobra. Um, four season Hallow Blade. That's a cool one. That's the human warrior, right? That you can yeah, it's, uh, discard it's a the, card to make it indestructible. Yeah, it's like the bad uh, Dante Vanguard, basically. Um, but yeah, you got your... Everything else is the same. Your dorks, um, your your eight elves, your voice resurgence, Legion War Boss, um, Pia Karan Noir, um, Winota, Ingress Marauders, Eldrick Evolution... And of course, they are playing the new pathways, which, yeah, this this deck got a huge bump in its mana base. It yeah, got a, yeah, for sure. It got, it got a Boros pathway, a Gruul pathway, and a Selesnya pathway. That's, yeah, we're gonna see Naya uh, Winota pop up. I think significantly more in the coming weeks. Uh, it's just the deck is so it is a little glass canyon, right? Like it's it is all about like I'm trying to kill you as fast as possible, but like you can you can stop me fairly well but at the same time it has good top decks um you top deck one note you're just like i have i have my dorks swing with the dorks seven triggers you're like oh cool. marauder <clears throat> oops yeah so I, I just think this 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 deck is too powerful to not show up uh i could be wrong but like my expectations I mean, for this deck is pretty high i'm sure we'll see more of it Speaking of a deck that we're not seeing as much of, um, in the both challenges, there were zero copies of Mono Green Walkers. Ooh. And yeah. that's a bit of a surprise to me. Yeah. I guess it just it just didn't gain anything. Well, Matt would argue with you that it gained a Shia, but we yeah, so, seen a Shia you know, Not trying to, you know, steal or toot my own horn a bit, but we see where that got people. Maybe that's why nobody was in the challenge results because they're all trying a shy and lost. <laughs> I, I'm not Matt's sure. Gonna, Matt's gonna listen back to this and he's gonna murder me when he hears this. <laughs> I just, I think you're right. It, they didn't gain enough. The stuff that they potentially did gain are just more like win more cards um, that just do extra things on top of what you're already doing effectively. So they don't do anything to streamline your game plan at all which i don't even know if there is a card that can be printed that really streamlines mono green's game plan further than what it's already currently doing with the list it has because the lists are pretty fine-tuned like what do they get you let's say they print another like okay let's say they print birds of paradise right that's like the only thing i can think of that would make would the that deck... even be much better maybe you want like a ninth or a tenth dork but that's it yeah and that's the only thing i can think of as being truly a big functional upgrade to the deck. Is just but I, I still think there's other decks in the format that would gain more from a Birds of Paradise reprint than Mono Green Walkers would. Yeah, I'm, and I'm not saying Birds of Paradise exactly. Let's say it's just a brand new Llanowar. Uh, yeah, maybe they print like another Llanowar Elf. Yeah, it's just they a third one. Llanowarist Elf. So yeah, you now you have 12 total Elves. Um, like, I, I just, I, I'm not sure what, how much more you can power up this deck. Oath of Nissa was the only thing I could, that really made sense uh, before the uh, the unban happened, and uh, I don't 
I mean, again, I could be extremely surprised. Like, obviously, if they just unbanned Veil of Summer, that'd be really big for the deck, right? Like, Please don't. <laughs> Please <laughs> don't. I heard um, when, when Veil of Summer got banned in Pioneer, I read that right before I went to bed, and I have had the best night of sleep that I have ever had in my life. Like, I was so happy. I the just went to bed finally with, a, with a big smile on my face, and I woke up, and the smile was still there. Like, I had just been smiling all throughout the night. I just woke up with, like, sore cheeks from being so happy. Yeah. Uh, God, that was just, a good day. It was just a, a really egregious card. That should not have been uh, been printed. By the way, I still think that goes into like the four color Omnath piles, and also just like <laughs> dumpsters everyone. What Veil? Yeah, if they reprint Veil, like oh yeah, why, so many... would, why would you not play a green deck? All the green cards <laughs> that are banned go into go into Omnath. Could you imagine a format? That would have been a standard format. Oh my god! With Oko. Yeah, once imagine Oko once upon a time <laughs> and like Veil Summer. Field of the Dead. Oh, well, that would have not been with Zendikar, because Field of the Dead yeah, and Veil would have rotated. That, that's a Pioneer deck right there. If you had Field of the Dead, Oko, oh, and like, no. Omnath in the same deck, and then Uro, Veil, Summer, once upon a time to just find your Omnath. The, you have Lotus Cobra just to make all this crazy amounts of mana, uh, and then uh, you just play Wreck in there for some reason, because you can. Yeah. I mean... Yeah, I want to throw up. We, start, we started talking about it now, and these decks definitely showed up. Uh, Omnath decks... Yeah. Um, the, the the easiest one to start talking about are just the quote unquote Omnath piles, like usually four color. I think there were some five. I mean, it showed up in Niv, but that's mostly the same deck. And Omnath is in there now because why not? You know, you're a four color deck. Omnath gives you a lot of colored mana. Yeah. If you bring to light, I guess. Like, why not put uh, Omnath in your deck? Um, but these Omnath piles, just four color, good stuff. Yorian, Agent of Treachery, Uro, Lotus Cobra, Genesis Ultimatum, I think, at some of the lists. Just throw in all the good cards. Mm -hmm. Why not? Just four-color good stuff. Yeah, it's, it's Binder Omnath, basically. Yeah, it, it's Trade Binder Tribal. That's what it is. But the, the deck that really popped up with Omnath, and I did say, and this was off-cast, so I unfortunately don't have any uh, any proof no for No bragging rights for Brad. Yeah, but uh, I, I I was definitely saying that off-cast with like, the admins over the server and and, uh, and you a little bit, Alex, that uh, Reclamation was going to evolve into four-color to play Omnath, and then you get access to Teferi, and that's exactly what has happened. They got yeah. Azorius Charm in the main, too. Almost you know, all Reclamation decks have changed to um, four color reclamation. Yeah. With one change that's made to the deck. I mean, some still play a four color shell and they play Anger of the Gods as a sweeper, which I find a little bit suspect, but some have swapped it to Deafening Clarion. They might you just do, be. You do lose the exile of, upside. Yeah, that, that might be why. I think the, the people that just stuck with Anger of the Gods, because like, I thought about that too. Because, um, I mean, the lifelink for Deafening Clarion can definitely be. Uh, relevant at some point um so just having that flexibility but um yeah anger the gods in certain matchups definitely is the better card for the exiling effect um so i i can i i'm not going to fault anyone for choosing one or the other i think both have their reasons to be in a list and i as for my rec deck um i'm 
I'm going to be going to four color and just play Omnath and make use of the Teferis I have while he's still legal. And uh, <laughs> I, I don't know what I would do. I don't know if I would play Clarion or uh, Anger of the Gods. I'm not quite sure what I hold. Is I think that's just a meta one. goal. I, yeah, I agree. And then you could have the other one in the sideboard if you really want to, to have that flexibility. True. I mean, this is sort of like, like what we touched about when we did a top 10, and I talked about Shadow's Verdict, where it's like, it's a type of card where you need to pick your meta. Because I can imagine there's a certain meta you want Anger of the Gods, and you might actually tune your mana base to be a little bit more red-heavy, just so you're able to cast that. Mm-hmm. So I think that's just a call uh, people are going to have to make. It just does prove that, like, four-color is quite easy in the current form, because we see, like, five-color Niv, four-color Omnath. So we are seeing, like, the, the multicolor pile show up. Even the aggro decks are now... Aside from Mono Black, which is still tried and true, there's a lot of colors floating around in, uh, in well, Pioneer right now. Speaking of Mono Black, it's not as tried and true as you think. My pick for number six of my top ten Zendikar Rising cards in the Pioneer Showed up format. Showed in, like, two of the eleven Mono Black decks. Oh, you know what? It's still good enough, and it's gonna. I guarantee it's gonna pop more. Look again. I said it then, and I'll say it now. I think Scrap Heap is better. I just think this card provides enough flexibility to warrant at least being a one of in the deck. Some oh yeah, yeah. I, I'm just te- I'm just teasing you, but I I do think it's a it's a good card to have in your deck. There's even lists that just entirely cut Scrap Heap Scrounger just for this. Now I wouldn't agree with that at all, but. No. As that you suggested, there are some lists that went like two shade, three scrounger, or just like cut a dread wanderer for a shade or something. And Ooh. Yeah, seems good to me. There's a mono black list in one of the challenges that it did not run shade, but it did run a one of Blood Chief's Thirst in the main. Yeah, I've it's seen a few lists cool. running a couple of Blood Chief's Thirst, probably just for the flexibility of it, like cutting one or two pushes. Oh Maybe cutting God. like a murderous rider that they might have had in the main. Go look at this list. It's by um, Ryzenza. It's a mono black aggro on the twentieth. Um, Where did it end? Finish. Uh, let me double check. Thirteenth. Uh, All right. What the hell is this sideboard? This is like the Demir one we were talking about <laughs> earlier. Oh, this is like the wishboard sideboard without having wish cards in your deck. I yeah, I don't get it. It's like, are you gonna ever draw these cards? Are you ever you're, you're gonna draw I mean, that one of Fleet Wheel? Cru- it's running yeah, the Fleet, f- Wheel the Fleet Wheel Cruiser. What a legend! For people who don't know what this absolute all star of a card is, it's four mana for a vehicle. It's a five three trample haste with crew two, but the first time you play it, it it's screwed automatically. So it's a one-shot, four-mana, five-three, trample, haste, get your opponent, and then you're going to have to crew it for only two. And it's only two. You can, cry, you can crew it with all your recursive threats. I, I don't get it. Cool I, guys I control. Sure. But... You know, you play it, you dunk them, they sweep you, you bring back your Dread Wanderer. You... Is... Oh, actually, that, that enters tapped. Oops. Is the, but... extra, um, is the extra two points of damage better than, like, a fourth rankle on the side. Like I get, it's not. Oh, but rankle dies but... to sorcery speed removal. That's the point. Oh, you're cruiser right. doesn't That's die right. to sorcery. It, it dodges sweepers, so it kind of functions like a dash card. So I guess, I guess that's why I would want it. 
I, I mean, feel like, I feel like there could be a, a. I mean, again, he he went four and one. He got thirteenth in a in a challenge. You, that's a respectable. But finish, this so, definitely yeah. looks like a sideboard that needs tuning. There's a lot yeah. of. It just seems very experimental, which I can imagine. Right in the first uh, in the first week, you just put in a lot of experimental, weird one offs, and. Because it's not even just when you draw them. This might be. This is how I sometimes test decks. Like, let's say in this deck, you've got your Fleet Wheel Cruiser and you've got Rotting Regisar on your sideboard. And mm. let's say there's a matchup where you bring in both. And every time you play Rotting Regisar, you think to yourself, and I usually have like a notepad literally next to me, and I draw the Rotting Regisar, and it's like, do I wish this was Fleet Wheel Cruiser? Yes or no? And when I draw Fleet Wheel Cruiser, I'll think, do I wish this was Rotting Regisar? Yes or no? And then after like a week of playing, I look at my notes, and I'm like, 95% of the time, I wish whichever card I had was Fleet Wheel Cruiser. So you cut the Regisar and add the second Fleet Wheel Cruiser. And that's how you can like go about tuning your deck. And this person, while tuning their deck, just happened to 4-1 a challenge. So pretty good. It's a good Sunday. I didn't see it like so... One thing I'm noting, we didn't see hardly any of the mythic uh, Boltlands from Zenikar in all of these lists. Um, I mean, I think that ties into what I just what I pointed out uh, a bit ago, where we have a lot of multicolored decks. Yeah, where they they definitely have a cost. Like if you're playing mono black aggro, I'm surprised to see. No uh, Agadim's Awakening in the Mono Black Aggro decks. There's one in the 31st place. Uh, went two and three. Um, yes, I, I'm very surprised by that. I would expect that to at least be like a one-off or a two-off. But maybe I'm, maybe uh, I'm not seeing something they're seeing. Maybe maybe their deck is already recursive enough, right? They don't need it, because all their cards yeah. are recursive. So who cares about bringing back your recursive card with a recursive spell? They just do it themselves. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm not going to jump the gun at all, but like, because it is only the first week, so we'll see more as kind of people try to fine-tune their lists and try different things out. Um, but you would think that this would be the time to try out these lands, right? Like, this would be the time to try and see if they work. Like, even looking through, like, the, the, uh, the regular league dumps... Um, there's not very many in there besides uh, the Oops All Spells list, which we'll talk about a little bit later. Um, I, I think it's just the the collective hive mind has decided that the first step of testing Zendikar is trying to stretch our mana, like stretch into as many colors as we can. And I can imagine that once people have figured out, like, okay, I think this deck is comfortable being three colors, that we're then going to hop into, okay, and now that I have this three color deck, Let's try and see how greedy I can make this three-color mana base. Yeah. So maybe like in one week, two weeks, three weeks, we're going to see like Jeskai lists with one or two Bolt Lance in it and monocolored lists with like two or three in them as people are trying to like test that angle. I will say before we move on to any other, anything else, um, looking at Niv to Light, there was some representation in the uh, challenges. Um I think there was even a what like a fifth place finish or something? Third place finish. Uh Sylvan Keratid is very important to the list. Um that's been extremely consistent because you want like I just want to ask you. It's about your Alex. it's your better mana fixing. Yeah, is 
is the hex proof and the fact that it just taps for any color so much more important than the idea of experimenting with like Lotus Cobra? Because I thought Lotus Cobra would fit in in some oh, yeah, 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 yeah. function. No, Sylvan Caryatid is... Um, I, can, I can tell you from uh, experience playing against the deck, a very common line, at least, at least earlier on in the format, you would thought seize your Niv opponent and you could just see hands that are like, you've got all these great payoffs, your Teferi and your Niv, but I'm actually just going to thought seize your Sylvan Caryatid and just mana screw you. Like, or I'm going to have you, like, they'll have a hand that's like a green source, a white source, a black source, and a Sylvan Caryatid. And then their hand is like, I don't know, like Nahiri, um, Teferi, Niv-Mizzet. It's like, okay, I'm just going to Thought Seize your Sylvan Caryatid and hope you stumble for two or three turns trying to fix your colors. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, I think it's... Perfectly sensible. Sylvan Caryatid is way better than Lotus Cobra for this deck. Because you don't really care about the potential of getting two or three mana out of this. You care about it fixing your colors. If Sylvan Caryatid was like an... No, it's almost better than an enchantment you could slap on a land so it taps for any color. Because otherwise people would just start running Unbridled Growth or something. But aside from being a blocker, which it's also just way better at than Lotus Cobra. Sure, it doesn't kill anything, but it slows your opponent down, which is all you care about. The the color fixing is too important. Yeah. I would run Paradise Druid before I would run Lotus Cobra if I would be playing five color net. Just because I care more about the mana fixing. Holy shit. What is this? And the list? ability to untap with it. But I'm looking at the uh the other challenge real quick, back to the Selesnia one. Um did you see this Boros list? Uh, it's 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 under WUB by TBX Green Guy. It's like I think like eighth place or something like that. Um, it's a Colossus Hammer deck. Yeah. With Sigarda's hate. Ah, come on! There is no um, there's no, no resolute strike in this. I feel or sad. The, or the new Nahiri. Well, granted, there's only one warrior, so that makes sense. Yeah. Um, they're also playing Lurus. Uh, so that's probably why they won't go with the Nehiri. But look at the Adorn Pouncer is cool. Double strike. Yeah, just with Sigarda's eight. Uh, Open the armory, which is kind of cool. Seems a little, uh, a little janky to me. It's like, what if you don't find the Sigarda's eight? It just looks like your deck doesn't function. Yeah. Because your main thing is dopey cards, which I'm gonna throw a Colossus Hammer on. And the only way to cheat on the equip cost is the Sigarda's aid. So if you if you don't put the Sigarda's aid in this deck, you just if you don't draw that, the deck just doesn't function. It's like the modern deck, but then that doesn't have magnetic theft, which works on any creature type. But but this is like to quickly like pitch my own number ten card again. If we're gonna get good cheap warriors, what if we get like a one mana, a two mana one one double striking warrior in Kaldheim? This is the deck you slam dunk it in. Then you might get the Resolute Strike or another equipment cheater in, which we might get more equipment cheaters in call time. And that's when this deck takes off. Yeah, I, I would imagine equipment would be pretty big in call time as well. I you, can't you see just, why I wouldn't. Like, this is typical where you see the Sigarda's aid. And this is a typical effect where it's like you want like seven or eight copies of this because that makes your deck consistent. Like, this person went four and two. 
I'm going to be pretty confident saying that their two losses probably come down to had to mull to four every game and oops. Yeah. I mean, speaking of oops, we might be able to jump into our last deck we're going to talk about before uh, going into another segment. And that's oops all spells, which some people are thinking, wait, we're playing a legacy deck now from 10 years ago? No. With the spell lands, people have actually come up with an oops all spells list, and it's it's just funny to me. So, yeah, Brad, can you take us through how the deck works? How does oops all spell works in Pioneer? So it's centered around this wonderful creature named Balstrade Spy. It is a vampire rogue from... Uh, what set is this from? This... Uh, Oh my god, I can't read. Uh, I think they're all from uh, Gatecrash, or at least they're from the, fur, the, the Ravnica, Return to Ravnica, Gatecrash, Dragon's yeah. Maze, that, yeah, it is. that era. That block. Um, and uh, like I said, it's a three and a black, four mana, two, three vampire rogue, has flying. When Balsarade Spy enters the battlefield, target player reveals cards from the top of his or her library until he or she reveals a land card, then puts those cards into his or her graveyard. Thank God we're at the formatting point in Magic where they just say they or that player or whatever instead of going he or she. Oh my God! Extra text. Yeah, it makes and, it read so much more. But yeah, but by and the there's way, also other Cindy Informer which does the same thing. It's a three yes. mana two three, and you can pay one sack a creature. It doesn't tap. It doesn't have to sack another creature, so it can just be itself, and you do the exact same thing: mill someone until you hit a land. And it ends up equaling the exact same amount of mana. It's a three yeah. drop or a two three, and then pay one that's four mana, or it's a four drop two three that has the ETB same effect. And so, there are no lands in this deck, technically. How can All you put them, no lands in your deck, Brad? We have these wonderful modal dual face land card things from Zendikar Rising, and they're running. Oh yeah. All of them. Literally all of them. <laughs> there's uh, well, there's so, twelve bold lands think yeah there's 12 bolt lands yeah four agonim's awakening four seagate restoration uh, and two uh, shatter skull smashing yeah. so and you you just mill ten. your entire deck and then there's two world spine worm which says when world spine worm is put into a graveyard from anywhere shuffle it into its owner's library so yeah. you will always have two cards in your library after going through your entire deck because yeah. of World Spine Worm. And it runs just some other Dredgeless Dredge type things like Prized Amalgam, uh, Creeping Chill. Um, there's things that you can you know bring back like Haunted Dead, Silver Smoke Ghoul. You know, good I mean, good like, this, is, this is the thing we talked about, right? When we talked uh, about the upside of like Dredgeless Dredge a while ago, like a couple weeks ago. So you go in your turn, and this is all at sorcery speed. You go four mana, I'm going to mill myself like entirely. I'm going to mill my entire deck. That's going to trigger Creeping Chill. And this deck runs no Narc Amoeba, by the way. And this might actually be quite important here. So you get your Narc Amoeba. You don't get your Narc Amoeba. So you're going to go through Creeping Chill. You're going to drain your opponent for 12. At the end step, you're going to get a playset. Oh, in this case, it's only two. You're going to get two Silver Smote Ghouls in your end step. That's going to trigger your four prized amalgams to come in in your opponent's end step. So they can't even sweep you. So you're going to no. drain your opponent for 12. You're going to put 6 power into play. And at the end of their turn, you're putting in another 12 power. So yeah, then you're and... probably swinging for game. And if yep. you're not, the deck runs a Thassa's Oracle. Well, the one I'm looking at runs 4. The, this list. 
Oh, um, here I see. Here I see one. So I guess people are still like experimenting. With yeah, this. this list is by Bozo Kaboy. He went five and zero in a league uh, yesterday. So this is this is his list: four Thassa's Oracle, four Prize Amalgam, three Silver Smoke Ghouls, four of each of the Undercity and Balstrade, one Haunted Dead, two World Spine, uh, and then it has a bunch of the the lands. So there's the there's Bain Vale, which is instant creatures your opponent control get minus two minus oh until in a turn this is uh yeah i read a write-up about this deck and they said that was actually one of the most important cards in the deck because you go because that actually just buys you time because you go turn yeah. one tap land turn two tap land turn three use that to effectively fog your opponent and turn four you go off yep. so it's actually a really important card in the deck then there's the sensor without cycling uh with the land on the back um, your four Agony's Awakening, four Seagate Restoration, two Scatter Skull sh- uh, Smashing, um, four Claim to Fame, four Palaka Predation, which is a target opponent reveals his or her hand. Uh, you choose a card from it with Converter Man Cost Variable Greater, and they discard that card. So, like a just uh, hand attacks, ex- expensive Thoughtseize. Yeah, it's um, um isn't this um. God, there's like expand the mind or something, transgress the mind, I think, which was played in standard around the Kaladesh era. Yeah. There's Salundi Vision, which I'm trying to think of what you look for with this. I mean, it helps you find any of your lands. Actually, no, yeah, that's pretty cool. Uh, Salundi Vision, instant speed, two and a blue. Look at the top six cards of your library, and there's Watsi doing the top six thing again. That's been the theme the last year. Uh, Winota, the new Nahiri, you know, whatever. Anyway, uh, you may reveal an instant or sorcery card from among them and put it into your hand. Put the rest in the bottom of your library in any uh, any random order. So, I mean, this finds you a land, essentially, or finds you something relevant, like a claim to fame, uh, to bring something back. Um, finds literally... Yeah, it's just lands. And then, like, if you want to cast... Yeah, just make player, sure you make your fourth land drop. Yeah. Um, Hagra's Mauling, which is the spell cost one less to cast if your opponent has no basic lands, the short target creature, it's two, uh, two and two black, and then it's a tap, uh, swamp on the back, or a tap black land. I, I, I would mean, say, though... You, you can use this to, like, clear out, like, a disruption piece your opponent has or something. Yeah. Um, I am surprised that it's not running any of the green, uh... Bolt Mythic here. It's only running the the four of the blue ones. Oh, this, seems weird. This yeah. list is running four Turn Timber Symbiosis. It's running the. Okay, this list is not. It's one. running four Seagate, four Agadim, and two Scatter Skull Smashing. Oh yeah, this this list runs so. So, but I mean, it it's the gist of it, right? Like fine tuning yeah. is kind of whatever. Uh, I'm sure that's going to be done. Uh, there's a guy. Is it, I think it's the same person that does the meta report every week on Reddit. Has done like two or three write-ups. ACC like 95 or 45 thi- or whatever. I think it's that person or someone else. You'd look them up on the Pioneer Reddit. Like there's not a thousand posts a day. You can still scroll back and find a post from a month ago in like five minutes. And if anyone wants to know more about this, look at that and find those write-ups. They went into a lot of the cards, a lot of the choices. Like that card that gives your opponents... Creatures minus two minus zero. I didn't come up with the fact that that card is good in this deck. I just straight up copied that reading that write up a couple we- uh, a week or so ago. Read that if you want to know more about the deck. It's a very well written uh, write up. It, 
it would make sense. It would be them that did the, the uh, did the write up because uh, they're also a big dredgeless dredge player too. So this seems right up their alley to kind of uh, stem from that play style. Yeah, it is just turbo dredgeless dredge. The one Narcomeva on this sideboard is cute. I think it's really funny. Oh yeah, yeah. this list does it too. Um, and four Leyline of Sanctity that you will never cast, so you mulligan so hard into that card if you bring it in. This this is, by the way, the deck. This is the deck that you probably destroy with Shadow's Verdict. If you see this a lot, oh, if yeah. you could stall your opponent out, and they do all these shenanigans, and they mill their entire deck, and you just go, okay, Shadow's Verdict. You've just won the game. So, good cyber tech, keep it in mind. Yeah. Oh, and when, they, when you have a Soul Guide Lantern on the field, they are just not able to go off. Because they're going to go through their whole deck, and then Creeping Chill triggers on the stack, you empty their yard. So that's why you see this deck in the sideboard as like a lot of Abrupt Decays, Assassin's Trophies. Like It really needs to clear the way in order to be able to combo off. But when it does, you win the game. Effectively. Yeah, and it's just a great, fun deck. Like This is just so cool. Yeah, I think the list is really cool. Um, I'm the five O's that we're seeing from it. I think are in part to the fact that people don't know what the list is doing. It's also oh a yeah, new, it's a new format, so to speak. So we'll see if it sticks around. I'm hesitant to say it will. But... It might just always be like a fringe fun deck, yeah. right? That people are just this is just the type of deck that's gonna have like a cult following, right? There's still people who play Texas in modern. Right, which like yeah. pretty much nobody does, but people just like the deck, so they play it. And yeah, they got I think that this new is bird. gonna be the typical deck. Archon, eh. whatever. Mm. Is that good enough? Eidolon Duchess Lightning Bolts, this doesn't. So mm. true. There's Eidolon with the rule of law effect on it too. It's actually Pioneer Legal too. I mean if you're wanna build Texas in Pioneer, you probably want the Archon. Because you don't care about it getting bolted or not, because bolt's not legal. Oh yeah, thank God. I would say, um, I, actually, I do want to say, before we move on uh, after uh, the metagame analysis, or move on from it, I should say, I do have a, a couple of questions for you and, and what this really means. My first one is looking at auras, right? I, think, I don't think we're going to see one or the other get the dominant amount of play. I think we're going to see a pretty even split between Orzov and Selesnya. And my I question is better. My question to you is what's better in the mirror? Orzov or Selesnya? Like if like if you're if you're have a matchup in, where in that the comes mirror, out. I think Orzov, because you don't really care about the removal aspect. They don't tend to run like Fatal Push. Sometimes the black decks run trial with ambition, but even that is like doesn't really matter. You're probably gonna have like random cartouche tokens stick around. But uh, Hateful Eidolon, as opposed to Glade Cover Scout, is A, an enchantment, so your ethereal armor makes your creature a little bit bigger, and you have access to eight lifelinkers instead of four. Mm. So you're going to be more likely to be the person with the lifelink threat. So I think Orzov would be better in a mirror. So that, that's why I feel like there's going to be a split, because the Selesny one might be the better of the two against the majority of the meta. But if you're the Orzov player to come into a tournament and you're like, well, I'm expecting to see some number well, of Selesnya auras. Yeah, if if, if I... Selesnya auras becomes huge, like if auras becomes huge as an archetype, 
I think we're going to see a split. Until then, I think we'd mostly be seeing Celestia. And to be honest, I hope we don't get into a meta that has so much auras in it that we're actually going to split up into camps for auras. Because people can enjoy the decks that they want to play. I'm not a big fan of this deck. Like, Celestia auras or Bogles in Modern are my nightmare. I hate playing against those decks. It just feels like there's these draws where it's just like, might as well have just mulled to three. Like, it doesn't matter. Yeah. There's, um... But the other thing is, um... Oh, but it's a deck that has the right to exist. It keeps people fair. Right? Like, it keeps the, it keeps the removal-based decks like mine fair. It's like, you know, make sure to have conditionals. Uh, make sure to have sweepers that, like, don't just deal damage. Or uh, make sure to have sweepers that also exile. Or maybe you should have some uh, edicts in your black deck. Right? It, it keeps you fairer, keeps you on your toes in deck building. The fact that this card exists. And I think that's a good thing. I'm excited to see what happens with Auras. Um, it's a really, really cool list. This All is right. just another deck that I'm going to have to consider when I pick my removal for a weekend. Yeah, I'm glad I already pre-ordered my Soul Shatters. The three-mana Edict that takes the highest card, the highest CMC card. If you could just kill everything that isn't a Glade Cover Scout, and then you can just oh, Edict a Glade Cover Scout. Shadow's Verdict will be very important. Sh yeah, yeah, the only, uh, the the only difficulty I have with that card is that it's potentially too slow. Because if they go turn one Glade Cover Scout and they start slapping on auras and you're waiting for your five mana card to kill it, you'll be dead. That's true. So, and you can block it with Death Touch creatures because there's eight enchantments in the deck that are going to give it first strike. You can also just do Ritual of Soot, um, but then they could, they do they have can the, carry uh, Mattress Blessing. Yeah, for Indestructible. Yeah, so I think you're going to have to be looking at Edicts or that's what Edicts or just other ways to buy time. I think Trial Ambition like is still the best Edict effect. Yeah, but I mean, the easiest one is I don't see any Leyline of Sanctity in this sideboard. If you're on the play, you just aggressively mulligan the Thoughtseize and you just take the Glade Cover Scout. And then okay. they just... You don't even have the problem. It never hits the field. Until they top deck it. Literally on the draw. Yep. That's Thoughtseize for you. Every time. You're like, oh yeah, they, they kept a hand with, uh, with four enchantments, one Glade Scout, and you're like, yeah. Yeah, take, take the that. Glade Scout, and then they draw... And and they also Garden, just, Glade Scout. You're like, what, what are you I just, doing? I just, that's the Seinfeld tune starts playing in your head. You're like, uh. That, that's where I just kind of like whispered to myself, I hate magic so much. I hate this game so much. <laughs> this is what I don't always think like, why do I keep playing control? Why do I keep doing this to myself? <laughs> the Thoughtseize bug exists no matter what. And yeah, like in real bug. life. Just like the Scry bug. It happens in real life. You can't blame MTGO for it. It just happens. Uh, my second question has nothing to do with the meta analysis. I'm going to be honest. Uh, there's a deck if you look at the um, the decks in the Pioneer meta page. If you look at like all the decks towards the bottom, there is a sacrifice uh, type of Rally the Ancestors deck. It's they've gone into Abzan, but not really. Uh, they're running. You've gone, you've gone deep to find this deck, right? I can't even oh, find it. Yeah, uh, it, they're running Slitherhead. Alex, have you ever considered this card in your Rally the Ancestors list? That is the zombie with scavenge for zero, right? Yeah, it's the zombie plant. Yeah. Artwork I, is awesome. It's, it's cute. 
Uh, I've been slowly, I've been trying, but I haven't gotten much chance to play it and not much time to tune it to play, uh, or maybe have a sideboard plan even, with, uh, what is it again, Necromancer Stockpile. Okay. Which is an interesting card. Don't know if you know for the uh, for the audience, because it is a bit of an odd card. I had never seen it, but I got into my habit again of watching an old Pro Tour every once in a while and someone was playing it. And it's one on a black for an enchantment. And it says, one on a black, discard a creature card, draw a card. If you discarded a zombie, make a 2-2 tapped zombie token. So you just try and turbo through your deck and just have like a pile of zombies. And in that shell, maybe, I, I think it's just not really the, worth the card. It kind of has that issue. Unless you're doing something really crazy or good with it, like the stockpile, I don't think a one mana one one that gives a card plus one plus one really just not worth the card. I think. But it's good filler. And maybe you're thinking like, hey, I want my uh, my cartel aristocrat to be able to survive Cry of the Canarium. This card helps. Bumps up yeah. three three toughness. Like if that's the type of thing you're considering, yeah, I could I wouldn't fault anyone for running the card. I just don't. Well I'm interested in seeing how it runs. It might be better in practice than it seems. But it I feel like it almost feels like nauseating to even mention this. This feels like the best thing you could be doing with Zombie tri- uh, Tribal in uh, in Pioneer is the Abzan versions. Oh, I've been playing uh, Orzhov Rally instead of Mono Black for a long time now. And I'm not sure. I mean, Abzan, you're hardly zombies then. Oh, like, no, there's just not... some, some zombies. Well, not really Abzan. This list because the Southern. It's Orzhov, but there's just. Yeah. It's called Abzan because there's that green card in it. Yeah, I've yeah. been playing Orzhov Zombies. A rally for a while instead of like mono black aggro or something and i think it's probably the better deck and it's super fun to play so i don't mind at all that the orisof rally is the better deck but we do have someone else joining us finally matt how are you i'm good how are you guys yeah uh, pretty good yeah we're looking at lists uh we're checking them twice and uh yeah i've been kind of lurking for a minute and to hear alex say that the selesnia is better than the Orzov, or as I think he's wrong on that. What What do you think puts? Are you, Are you referring to as a deck overall, or versus each other? It versus each other, Orzov definitely wins. But I think Orzov. Oh yeah, yeah. But I think Orzov is just better overall as well. Why do you think that? I just. Do you think Thoughtseize is just so valuable out of your sideboard, for example? No, I just think that Black has better enchantments than Green. But most of your enchantments are mono-white, though. Like, you don't really run any black enchantments. You sometimes run a dead weight. That's it. You also have access to Doom Foretold. Wouldn't run Doom Foretold in a Auras deck, though. That's more for an Enchantress-style deck. True. But it's there. It is there. You can't, you can't play uh, Auras. That, that, that is a matter of fact. <laughs> Doom Foretold does exist. It is a magic card. It's I have to concede to that. I and I'll concede to the fact that we do have a Selesnia Auras player who, or no, he's Enchantress. So I guess that point doesn't. Yeah, he's not funny. I mean, <laughs> see, okay, so I'm gonna admit something here. I don't understand the difference between Auras and Enchantments. Auras is one mana dudes, and you slap one mana Auras on them, and you got things like Ethereal Armor and all that glitters. So you take your 1-mana one 1-1 one one Hexproof, 
And on turn two, you put two ethereal armors on it, and it's immediately a 5-5. And then the next turn, you put on a Griff's Boon, and then all that glitters, and it's like a 14-14, and you kill your opponent if they shock the landed. That's, that's, that's what the Auras decks do. And you're thinking of the Enchantress decks, which is am, like Seat of the Sign on, uh, okay. empty, Sigil of the Empty Throne, I think, that sort of thing. Play a bunch of Auras, get Angels, Doom yeah. Foretold, Dance of Demands, that sort of thing. So I am thinking of Enchantress then. Okay, I think yeah. Orc of Enchantress is better than Selesnya Enchantress. Yeah, for the Enchantress decks, I would be inclined to agree. And, and I have no opinion on Selesnya versus Orzov when it comes to Auras then. I uh, I just say, you know, for both answers, you play Abzan. I just, I don't know. I just, I, I like, <laughs> ever, ever the I like opportunist, having... Brad. Why not both? You know, we first had the, you guys are getting paid meme. We were talking. I don't know if this was. Yeah, this was on the cast, not before the cast, right? We got the "you guys are getting paid" meme for the jumpstart release, and now you're just the "why not both" meme. This is just the pioneer meme perspective uh, at this point. Tacos sounds so good. For those of you who don't know, the "why not both" meme is from a taco commercial in the states. I did not know that. So that's literally what that's from. Uh, yeah, the little little girl's like, why not both? It's because the family's arguing over soft shell or hard shell, and there's like, here's a new variety pack that has both. Ha! Buy our tacos, and then that's 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 it. <laughs> and then they 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 throw like a, a quinceanera for basically is what this it is. This is at. like the side quest for this this podcast where I keep learning more and more about American culture every week. It's not that exciting. Like off <laughs> off cast, we talk about like American food and that sort of thing, and it's just. Ah, you, you you learn more and more, and at one point they're they're gonna come over to the Netherlands, and I'm gonna teach them the Dutch cuisine of look what we stole from Indonesia. And that's, uh... <laughs> You're just as unoriginal as we are. Look at that. <laughs> we are equals after all. Dutch cuisine isn't much of a cuisine. It's more like what can you throw in a deep fryer that doesn't kill you? We can get along with the Scottish very well, as you... opposed. As opposed to the American cuisine, which is what can you throw in a deep fryer that will eventually kill you? <laughs> oh my god, I love deep fried food. Do deep fried Snickers. Oh, deep fried candy bars in general. Go, you know, Alex. I have never had stage? a deep fried candy bar because it looks so awful. I was yeah, in Edinburgh you, and they sold it. They even sold deep fried ice cream. I was like, how the hell do you deep fry ice cream? Deep fried you, ice cream is delicious. Delicious. You yeah. roll it in cereal and then you deep fry it. This okay, so funny. Alex. If you come to the States, we have to take you to some random, doesn't matter what state, preferably the South, because the, the more South you go in the States, the grosser the food gets as far as like healthy, con- <laughs> like health concerns. Um, you got to come to like a state fair. Some kind of fair. Yeah. That's, where <laughs> all the, that's where all the disgusting oh, I, I'd love is. to. You know, my, my eating habits are, uh, can be poor. It's usually like my girlfriend that pushes me to eat more healthy food. Otherwise, I would just eat unhealthy food like every day. But in order to move on the podcast <laughs> to an extent, I mean, we, because, uh, we, we can be the, uh, the cuisine perspective you want. <laughs> I'm a terrible chef. I'm only good Ooh, at eating. Food. The poutine perspective. We only talk about different <laughs> varieties of poutine. <laughs> oh my god that sounds so good dude i had the greatest poutine i sent you the picture alex it was so good it was like it was in-house made uh like gravy with um oh, it was made from some kind of like stout like stout beer uh and it had black pepper in it and it was just oh my god i understand see okay alex is sending us a little thing in the chat to say that we have 
50 minutes left for this cast for as far I as I have to work scared. tomorrow. <laughs> yes, but I love poutine so damn much. It was so good. And I All love right, sleep. Yeah, yeah we, we can, we, we can have right. both. We'll move on. So we, um, well, Brad uh, kindly asked the people of, uh, of Reddit and incidentally the people of our Discord to go to the Reddit and has a little bit of a Q&A set up. Now we asked like, hey, do you want to have like, you can sort of ask plenty of different questions. It turns out to all be magic questions, which uh, I don't mind. I'm here because I love talking about magic. So there is a couple of questions that we might have uh, phrased differently because they were either longer or like a question that contained multiple questions. And we kind of had to distill it down. Uh, some questions, maybe you asked a question and you're like, hey, why didn't you answer this? That's probably because we answered it on the cast. Like, there is one question from the top of my head, which I think, like, a Wingblade33 asked, what potential do you see for Omnath Locust of Creation? We talked about him. Four-color rec, Omnath piles. Don't need to it's go good. into that anymore. Yeah, it's, it's going to be it's gonna be the top deck in, in Pioneer. I so we did not end up answering the question. That right there. But... All right. Um, so I'll just... Uh, I have the list up here with the people who asked the question. So I'll just... Uh, try and go down the list. We've got 11 questions in total. Some will have longer answers than others. Um, oh, this is a great name to start on for me to pronounce. Caesar Taylor. That wasn't as bad. Um, had a really long setup for a bunch of questions, so we've distilled it down into two. Uh, hopefully, we've uh, done your questions justice. The first thing I boiled down to is, is the community in Pioneer too ban happy like do they ask wizards to pull the trigger too quickly like how we've seen people endlessly we've had people argue for thought sees dig through time which like all seem to be fine cards in the format we've seen talk for uro reclamation fires teferi oath of nissa even though mono green's gone uh, at least this week mono green seemed to be gone so what do we feel about overall are people too ban happy nowadays? I think that's in general. It feels like across formats, um, like Magic is different. So I came from Yu-Gi-Oh, and in Yu-Gi-Oh, we just expected a ban list every few months. That's just how it worked. You you print broken cards, a deck's going to be broken, and you need to ban it and bring everything back down to power level. And it's just you know, it's like Christmas. You're like you know, can't wait to see the ban list. Magic, it's more of like a dreading kind of thing where it's like you, people don't want to see it. But at the same time, we are seeing a lot of call for uh, for bans. Um, we're seeing things like uh, like Project Modern, people taking the format into their own hands, it seems, to try and be like, this is what seems to be the better way to do it. If Watsy's not going to do it, then, you know, it's like the, the Thanos thing from Avengers. He's like, I'll do it myself. <laughs> uh, and... And even we we almost saw that with Pioneer before the combo bans. Um, I know the guys over at uh, Crew Three Podcast they made their own uh, ban list essentially in their own little Pioneer format, uh, a la Project Modern. So it's certainly prevalent in in the game, and it's I think it's only natural. The uh, what's it called like any competitive game you're gonna have the vocal minority pop in. And be like, yo, like online, right? On social media, like, hey, we, we this card needs to go. This needs to go. And does that necessarily speak for the entire Magic community? No. Or that competitive game community, at least. 
but it's you know it's there uh yeah to to answer the question and not go in circles yeah i think i think the community is a little band happy but they have some warrant to that with the kind of cards that have been printed in the last two years i i think the only thing i wanted to add very quickly is that i think it's sort of not even just like a magic thing or a format thing it's sort of just like more a gaming community as a whole thing with more and more games being online and more games being fine tunable like any game i don't know league of legends warzone anything the first thing you see when a new patch comes out that does buffs and nerfs is people commenting what should be nerfed or buffed next right just as a community of gamers so to speak we are nowadays just very prone to being like oh we want to see this change and this change and this change but it's like yeah. just try and tackle the problem yourself first right before asking the developer to solve it and this attitude has just translated to magic too even though the idea of banning cards is much more drastic for magic than it would be to like i don't know make akali's q do less damage in league of legends or something yeah, you look at games like that, like League, like Smite, like uh, like Siege, or even like Call of Duty Warzone. It's a it's a bit more of a casual competitive video game, but like they all have something in common where the developers can push out a new weapon, a new hero, a new champ, whatever, and they have those respective stats. And of course, you can always fine tune that and be like, yeah, you gave them three options to use on this ability. Let's tone it down and make it two uses instead. And I think people now have just gotten that idea in their head of like games are fine tunable. We want, yeah. you know, Matt, is there anything you can add? You've obviously been an admin on the server for a long time. I'm sure you've heard plenty of discussion about bans. Yeah. So it seems like there are really two kinds of people that play magic. There are the kind who think that any card that is mildly inconvenient for them needs to be banned. And then there's the kind who think that wizards should be very hands off and never ban anything unless it becomes a serious problem. And I think that the correct way is to take sort of a mid-ground approach here and, you know, don't let something get too out of hand before we ban it, but also don't ban stuff that just because people complain about it. And also, just because a card is bad for your deck doesn't mean that it's a format-breaking card, as some people seem to think. Uh, the, I know we've talked about it a lot, but I think the quintessential example here is Teferi. There are plenty of decks that do just fine playing against three fairy. But because it's a problem for some people, they think it needs to be banned. And I don't necessarily think that that alone is enough to ban it. Now, Three Fairy has other problems. But just because it's just an inconvenience for your deck doesn't mean that it's an inconvenience for the format as a whole. Yeah. Like, all my decks are bad at spell uh, bad against spirits. Please ban Spellqueller. Yeah. Well, mon <laughs> Mono Green just loses to Fatal Push because every single card in Mono Green is a target to Fatal Push. But that doesn't mean that I'm arguing. It'll push you <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I think you hit the, the uh, what do they call that? The nail on the head? Yeah. Is that the expression? Yeah. Yeah. I think you got it exactly right, Matt. Yeah. Right. Uh, so, moving on to the next question. Again, still from uh, Caesar Taylor, which now makes you realize this is just like a, it sounds like a combination between. Julius Caesar and Taylor Swift. I don't know if anyone else is getting this vibe. Um, I think it's just you. Yeah, it's probably just me. Um, the other question is: Do you now that Wizards has said, like, "Hey, we're gonna um, we're gonna tone down the power level a bit um, from now on," because we've seen the past two years since War of the Spark being a bit of a mistake, which I think is an understatement. 
Um, but obviously, all these crazy cards coming in every time, like an Uro or an Omnath, they really shake up the format, right? So it takes a while for the format to be solved before the next set comes out. And sometimes it isn't actually solved before the next set comes out. Do you think that if we're going to power down cards that are coming in, that the formats will actually end up being solved rather quickly between sets? Matt, what do you think? Let's start off with you. I think we're. I think that yes, it will be solved quicker if the power level is lower, just because we don't have to figure out what exactly is the best card. But I also think that this is a dangerous path that they're going down. If they're going to intentionally lower the power level, I do worry that we're going to get to a point where every set is basically the same, and you get the same generic cards printed over and over with different names, and then the format just becomes very same-ish and that's a scary thing for me i like diversity in my games which we'll talk about in a little bit but i do worry that toning down the power level is going to make pioneer a very boring format to play because you never have the explosiveness that you can get in other formats that have these powerful cards but i do think that it would be solved faster so there is a give and a take here i think this goes back into the um just the way that the ban philosophy needs to be approached as uh, it's different for every format. So the way you approach bands in Modern or Standard will be different from how you approach it in Pioneer. It's a different power level, different card pool, and things like that. So the same thing kind of goes into a format being solved. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, it would be solved quicker. Um, That's just how it would work. If you have more powerful cards already existing, then you might get... It would go back to how Modern functioned, uh, prior to 2019, right? Every set that came out, you might get one, maybe two modern playable cards. Um, and the format stayed mostly the same. Uh, it wasn't until like certain things came out that like allowed formats to just be completely warped. And that really happened in the last couple of years. So I think the same thing would happen in Pioneer. Um, but I don't necessarily think it'd, it'd be exactly what you're describing, Matt. Because uh, we have to figure out what what does it mean to have a lower power level? Does it just mean not having an Oko or an Uro in every set? Or does it just mean like it's Ixalan every set? It's, it's hard to... Because let's say, is, is Zendikar a lower power, level, a lower power level set in comparison to the last two years? Because it's still a powerful set. Slightly. But I, I do still think this is a powerful set. Well, and let me clarify. I'm not saying that it's necessarily going to lead to that. I'm saying that if they go down this path... There is a case to be made that Wizards could play a little too safe and make everything a little too low-powered. Yeah, it's like when, um, I think it was when it was Urza's block or Antiquities or something, which might have been from the same block, but way back when, they got told off, like the design team got told off for making way too many overpowered cards, and the next set was Homelands, right? Like, which is like the least memorable set of all time, except it's memorable for how bad it was. So... There's definitely like a, a fear where it's like we we shouldn't go down that rabbit hole again because new sets should be meaningful too, and I think that's what Matt's trying to say. Like, be careful not to yeah I hold agree. your horses too much because you're gonna yeah. If we're considering yeah. that that sets like Theros on a scale of one to ten are like power level eight, I would say dial it back to like a five or a six. Don't dial it back to a two or a three every single set. Oh, yeah, yeah. I would agree uh, with that. I would like to see this as an opportunity. If we're going to go in lower power level uh, realms for sets, I think this is a great opportunity to revisit 
less powerful mechanics and allow those to get powerful upgrades without them being obscene. Like my my mind goes like to neg one counters, for example. That I mean, could be I, really I, cool. I'm gonna piss people off who play standard who don't want to go through another one of these formats, but I would like to see energy again. I would for support for a, I like Percy. I started playing in Aether Revolt, so this is obviously like an enormous like nostalgia bias. I actually really like energy as a mechanic, and I would like to see it again. The problem is it's very parasitic and standard, but I would really like to like connect the dots between Kaladesh and like a new set that comes out. Well, when uh, Maro did his But I think that is a, an interesting thing. We might uh, I can maybe quickly touch on. Yeah. The way they, they can design less powerful cards now, but they might be able to, as you said, like visit older mechanics or something, but design more with older formats in mind. Like, let's say they want to design a card now for Kaldheim. And this is obviously going to be very hard for them to design this way. But let's say they design a card and someone gets like this stroke of genius where it's like, this goes really well with this card from Kaladesh if we word it slightly differently. And it could be functionally almost the same card, but maybe you can create like cool interactions between older cards. And then part of the solving the format, which is probably going to be very appealing for an eternal format, is every time a new set comes out, instead of figuring out what's the broken card we should be doing with these cards in this set, is that every time a new deck comes, a new set comes out, we can look back and be like, hey, do we have cool old cards to interact with now or play now that we couldn't play with before? Like how people now in modern are like, hey, we've got this new like Steplinks, like this Akun Fellhound or something, the zero one, which is literally Steplinks but in red. It's like, hey, now that we have this, we have eight Lynxes for step for landfall aggro. Like that that sort of thing. Like for example, don't reprint a card, but functionally reprint a card. So in older formats, we can now experiment with having eight copies of a card. Yeah, I think it's just, it just depends how they do it. I mean, yeah. like, like we've all said, visiting a lower power, power level uh, set isn't necessarily a bad thing, but it can easily go into the direction of being horrible, like a Homelands. Yeah, um, it, it's, it's a tightrope to walk. We, like, we complain a lot about design and stuff and overpowered cards, but let's not forget, design is a very hard job. Like, I do not, like, I mean, I'm sure these people consider themselves having a dream job, but they definitely don't have an easy job. Oh, of course. It's incredibly difficult to do RNG. All right. So going into the third question, which is like, you know, I like this question a lot. With almost a year since launch, what are you feel? What are your feelings on a nearly fetchless format? Now we can start like... again with the person who usually plays forests, unless you want to go first, Brad. I just want to get the easiest answer out of the way. This is the best format in Magic. Fetch a nearly fetchless format makes for the best ma uh, format, hands down, no question. Fetches suck. Um, they're obviously incredibly powerful, but they're powerful in a way that's I think negative to the game. In a similar manner that, say, something like Uro exists, where people can view that as being negative. Um, yeah. And there's, there's a whole reprint problem in the logistics of all that, and the finance side of it is a bigger hurdle as well. Excluding that and talking about gameplay alone, no fetches makes for better magic. 
Yeah, I would agree with that. I think I think the Pioneer mana base, it's not the greatest. It could definitely use some tunings, but I don't think fetches are the way to tune it. I think we'd be much more impactful to have the like the allied fetch lands would be way better to put into pioneer fast than... lands. I think you mean. What did I say? Check lands. You said fast. Ch- I think you said, uh, fetch, you said lands. fetch lands. Yeah. We mean please fast lands. Please don't bring those into pioneer. I'll yeah. cry. I meant the allied fast lands. I think the allied fast lands would be a better add if we're gonna look at bringing old lands into the format, or. We could just make new lands that do cool things in different ways and not worry about not having these cards that were printed so long ago. Like these, these, um, the path lands are really cool. And that's something that it'll help fix the problem of not having the fetches or other cards like that. It helps fix it. I think it's better to look at new ways to make lands than it is to complain that we don't have this specific set of lands that modern has or that other formats might have yeah i think that's a very interesting take what i'd also say is that mana base and pioneer are just much more interesting i think a great one is now so now we've got zendikar and we've got all these spell lands how many of them do you think won't make it into modern because they don't fit in with a fetch shock mana base and they're going to be more awkward where in pioneer it's like hey i'm going to replace this like tapped green blue source with a tapped blue spell, and I'm going to put a tapped blue green land spell in my deck too. And there's so much more play to it than there is to like, hey, I'm going to optimize this fetch shock mana base. And it's like, oh yeah, I'm not going to, because I haven't changed this mana base since 2006. If you if you struggle with building mana bases like I do, I think Pioneer is probably the best format to practice building mana bases because the mana base isn't as important in Pioneer as it is in Modern, where your mana base does have to be very well optimized. Yeah. Also, because, like, we don't have to play around cards like Blood Moon. That's the thing I struggled with in Modern. In order to play around Blood Moon, I should actually have Scalding Tarns in my deck, but, like, I don't actually have infinite money, so I couldn't have Scalding Tarns in my deck, and it just felt so bad. And I'm not saying Pioneer bases are cheap, but they're definitely more affordable and more flexible to play around with, too. They should just go the route of Yu-Gi-Oh! and reprint things into the absolute ground, especially mana bases. Could you yeah, imagine how easy it'd be for people to play this game if they didn't I... have to spend 400 bucks on a mana base alone? Yeah, I agree. Like, there's so many decks I want to build. and it's Like, uh, I've got Ors of Auras, and I would love to switch to the Celestia Auras um, deck, because it's also a very easy deck to hand to people to start playing, because like, playing it at a base level is really easy. But Mana Confluence is 25 euros a pop. Like, I'm not going to pay that yeah. for a card in this deck. And I'm afraid that com- reprinting it in Commander Legends is going to push it down to, like, 18. It's like, that's still too much for one land. I uh, I bit the bullet um, months and months ago. Um, actually, probably closer around... Like, I think I finished all this around the uh, probably beginning of summer. I bit the bullet, and I've, I have purchased every single land that's Pioneer Legal. Just all, all shocks, all checks, all fast yeah. lands. All... Yep, uh, I got mana confluences. I got uh, the mutavolts. The things like just everything that you can imagine that would be in some kind of deck. And I now every them. deck looks cheap. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the one thing. But you know, not everyone can do that. Not everyone has the expendable or uh, the disposable income to do that. And to be honest, I don't either. Uh, so, like it. <laughs> It took like a year to build that, um, and 
most players can lose interest in a format in a year if they if they feel like they have yeah. to spend that long to save up and get a get a deck. So it's a problem. They should just they should really do that, but they won't because they have a different mindset yeah. as far as their game than Konami does. But, but before we go and talk about lands for too long in general, fetchless format, it's great. Um yes early turns in like control mirrors going land go land go land go land go is so much nicer than having to shuffle your deck every turn um but moving on question number four what does is it phoenix need to be tier one and pioneer would one sing a single one mana cantrip and they suggest something like serum visions or sleight of hand do the trick now before we go into answering this if we print another one mana cantrip that's going to have so many implications but let's stick to Phoenix. What would it do for Phoenix? And I'll start off with this one. And I think, yes, Phoenix would be amazing with another one mana cantrip. Almost especially if it's a sorcery speed one, because you can go into Finale of Promise again and go like Finale of Promise, Serum Vision Opt, three spells cast, get my Phoenix back. I think that's a great engine to go back into. And just having filling your yard, Pyromancer triggers, Finding your phoenixes. Yeah, I think with one more one mana cantrip, Phoenix would be a fantastic deck and very fun to pilot. I have a I have a suggestion for what a, and I, I agree with you. Let's start with that. I agree with you, Alex, that one single uh, cantrip would make all the difference in the world. Yeah. For and like a good one. So like yeah, we have yeah. Quicken, which is also a cantrip. Technically, Quicken's not good enough because it, it it goes one card deep and it doesn't do anything else. So I feel like this is gonna be pretty controversial. All right, so I have an idea for a cantrip that I think could be pioneer legal and not be the worst thing in the world. Alex, can you guess what uh, what one mana cantrip I'm thinking of? You'll probably think of brainstorm because there's less fetching or something. Yeah, brainstorm. Yeah, I'm not I, too sure about that. I think just I think it, it might be okay, but we have Fable Passage. People have now started running Evolving Wilds to go with their Lotus Cobras, so we are actually seeing decks with eight fetches. And I think that might already be the point where you break Brainstorm. Yeah, I don't know. But you can Brainstorm lock yourself, which is terrible. <laughs> so uh, just, just ban Evolving Wilds, you know? There you go, problem solved. Problem solved. You have to worry about Omnath now, too. <laughs> All you have is people Passage. So I'll be the first to say I don't really know a lot about Is It Phoenix, but... From what I understand, it seems like it's the deck that always is missing one card. And it doesn't matter how many cards get printed that go into that deck. They're always like... <laughs> it always misses one. They're always missing one card. And so what I will just say is if your deck is always missing one card, maybe your deck isn't actually a deck. And I know that And I know that Is It Phoenix has like this massive cult following for some reason that I don't understand. But I, I think a cantrip will fix it. But I think, honestly, I really do think that once we get another, if we get another one mana cantrip, then they're going to say, well, we still need this, or we still need that, because that's just what Is It Phoenix is. It's the deck that always needs one more card. All right, so we were very quickly in the chat, because one of our admins, uh, Foam, is uh, in the chat, too, is also, uh, has access to the podcast chat, and he's a Is It Phoenix, well, at least an Is It Mage, like definitely an Is It Mage. And we quickly asked him for feedback. And Foam says, without a card like Looting or Manamorphos, so I suppose a really good card to fill the yard with, or a zero mana spell, 
he doesn't think Phoenix will ever get there. And that might be the thing where, like, Matt says, like, Phoenix always feels like it needs a card, no matter what it gets. And maybe it's that, because it will, it never will. We're never going to get looting, we're never going to get Manamorphose, so maybe Phoenix never gets there because of that. I think that's fair, too. Um, I try to be a bit more optimistic. Uh, we'll yeah, never I, th get I think with like Serum that. Visions, it would be good enough. Serum Visions or Slide of Hand would probably make it good enough. Maybe preordain, but that's a little bit scary. But I think with something like that, might I think preordain would definitely get you there. Preordain is ridiculous. I don't think that a single one mana cantrip put into that deck is going to make it tier one, though. It might bring it to tier two. But yeah, I that's fair. It might feel so far away now. Yeah, I think you're right on that, Matt. Right. So, anything we want to add to talk about Phoenix? No. Uh, Foam just wanted to add that without looting, you can't bin enough birds consistently, which I think is a fair point. Um, they'll never print another Faithless looting, uh, so there's that. So I guess if you're a Phoenix player, uh, I'm sorry is the best way I can I can say because <laughs> you're uh, yeah, you're not in the best right. spot. It looks like. So moving into the next question. Do you see a tier 2 or 3 Death Shadow style deck in Pioneer spawning from Scourge of the Skyclaves? To be honest, saying tier 3, to me, tier 3 is a deck that's functional. It hardly has to be good. So, yes. Like, I can see people going for some sort of weird, like, four color traverse style deck and have Scourge of the Skyclaves in there. I don't think it's going to be a particularly great deck, but there, there's probably a deck out there. Uh, maybe like Mardu Burn, Boros Charm, you know, you do yourself a lot of damage with your mana base, you Boros Charm your opponent, you, uh, whatever it's called, um, Skewer the Critics your opponent, and you play 7-7. Seven, seven. Like, yeah. I like the idea of going into like a traditional burn um, and like playing like Eidolon as well. To at least, you know, hurt. you want to hurt yourself a bit too. Um, this would be a pretty good spot to play a few of the copies of the, um, the Boltlands. The... Now, you don't want to go too crazy where you just end up killing yourself. But... Yeah, that's why I don't like Eidolon. I like Eidolon. It, I, I've heard it a lot with Eidolon, but I think you at 1.1 have control over your own life total. Because you're going to be a deck full of 1 and 2 mana spells, and I think Eidolon at one point is just going to ruin you rather than you your know what? You know what? I'm, I'm going to take back my, my comment uh, about uh, trying not to go too far into one direction. I don't care. You play Eidolon and Rampage of Ferocidon. Don't care. Boom. You just, yeah, you just no one everybody can dies. Everyone hates. Everyone hates what's going on. Everyone's at two life, and then you swing in with a uh, with a non evasive scourge of the skyclaves that gets chump blocked by a one one, and then you get slapped on the on the uh, swing back and lose. So that's that's how this deck's gonna function. A hundred percent. Scourge of the skyclaves. That's why your team are not having. Legit. Yeah, uh, but not having evasion on its own sucks so much. Like, I know I know why they couldn't give it evasion. It makes sense, but like, it, that's what keeps it from being a, a, a interesting deck to me. Yeah, I think I kind of agree with Alex. If you're talking about tier three, even kind of tier two, maybe tier two needs to be a little bit better. But if you're tier three, as long as you can win a match, sometimes you're tier three. So yeah, yeah, it, yeah, that's. You can build a Scourge of the Skyclave Death Shadow deck that's tier 3, maybe tier 2, 
who knows? We'll see what happens. I like Scourge of the Skyclave. It actually almost made my top ten list. It didn't end up getting there in the in the end, but I see a lot of shenanigans happening with this card. And so, yeah, I think it's possible. I can see someone just showing up with a random, like, four or five color, absolutely ridiculous pile of a deck that somehow makes this card work. Like, I can see that happen. It definitely looks like the type of card that requires a crazy deck for it to be tier one or tier two. But, yeah, I mean, go for it. I think there's potential. I even I feel, think... Uh, I even think maybe Orzov life gain could could have some uses for Scourge of the Skyclaves. Take everybody's life down and then bring yours back up. Yeah, but not too much, because then your Skyclave shrinks. Um, quickly, because I forgot to credit people for the questions. So with almost a year since launch, the Fetchless Pioneer one, that was... Um, I'm terribly sorry. was uh, Rapid Calm on Reddit. Is it Phoenix need to be tier one? That was damn G94. And talking about the tier two or three deck was Uncle Drew 2222, which I Who believe is Uncle it? Drew is on the server. Yes, he is a very prominent member of the server. All right, this one, because uh, we're getting a little bit of time restraints from my end. So this question I'll kind of just answer for us because it's kind of easy. Do you feel that the Pioneer population has resurfaced to the same degree after Theros was printed? I think that's very hard to say because we're in a pandemic. Like, I know the server is doing well, but I think it's almost impossible to have things that, like, LGSs are still closing because people just aren't be able to make it to match it. And that could to- that is totally because of the pandemic that might have nothing to do with an interest in the format. People just don't want or are allowed to leave their house. Yeah, if we're talking about just purely from an online perspective, I think there's been a resurgence enough. Um... It, if we're just looking at that online only, then the answer is no, because we haven't seen the same amount of interest in Pioneer that we did when the format first launched, but that's expected. It's a new format, it's a shiny new toy, people want to play with it. Um, and I, But the combo meta did have a hand in that. But we're at pretty decent numbers now for where Pioneer's at, so I'm comfortable where we are, so I'm not freaking out. The one thing I will say is that we're actually seeing moto have all of their leagues fire which wasn't happening before the theros ban so if you're looking at online there's actually like definite evidence that it is resurfacing online we'll have to see what happens my prediction is that it will never be what it was when it first came out in terms of numbers just because like brad said it's a shiny new toy when it first comes out but i think we can get to the point where we're almost there Again, once uh, the world goes back to normal, uh, we'll see what's left in the rubble. Um, All right, so we go to the... Before I immediately forget, that was Sandman785 on Reddit. Now we're going to the question of Icecry. What does a healthy Pioneer format mean to you? Now, uh, I'll try and keep this short and sweet. I think every archetype should be playable. That doesn't mean that everything has to be tier one competing for the top, but it should be like, if you go into the format, I'm a combo player. There should be a deck for you. I'm an aggro player. There should be a deck for you. Preferably two, so you have some semblance of choice. But I wouldn't want to go into a meta, uh, into a format, be like, hey, I like playing control. And it's like, yeah, you're in the wrong place, buddy. That's unplayable. I think that's not healthy. Yeah, I agree. 
Um, I lean a bit more towards I would like to see one of each of the four pillars of a format be at the top. Um, I'd like to see like the tier one decks being one representation of aggro, mid-range, control, and combo. Um, but otherwise, what you said, Alex, is perfect. Um, as long as they have a representation in the format and everyone has a deck that they can play and be competitive with, and it's a deck they like to play, that's what's important. Yeah, I think you guys both hit the nail on the head. Uh, I do think diversity is also very important. If, for me, the more decks that are like quote unquote tier one decks, the better, the, the healthier the format is because it shows that you don't have to play one of these five or six decks to be truly competitive. Like, if we had a Pioneer meta where there were like 20 tier one decks, that would be like the healthiest format ever. The only problem I see with that is if there's too many decks at the top, you get to the point where. I mean, and this this kind of like hardbacks, and then we're no longer on health uh, healthy. If there's too many different decks, you can't play control because you can't prepare for anything. So it does have to be like a twenty top tier f- deck format would probably not have a control deck because it's um, impossible to beat everything. But then we go back to the point again of there's well, not every archetype, well, so there should probably be less. But I get your well, point. Well, the other argument is maybe there's just three or four different control decks that are tuned to be against various different things. Yeah, fair. You know, you just pick the one for the weekend, and yeah. it could be healthy too. Yeah. All right. So this is one. Um, so I think we can answer this a bit shorter too if we read out the whole question, which I think is a fun one. So it's by Eldrazi Titan. So you're probably sad that there was just uh, Ulamog's face on Zendikar, and that's it. Um, I'd like to know your top three cards of all time. It's time to learn what kind of people you guys are at heart. So I think in order to keep this a bit shorter, and he wants to know what type of people we are, so I'm just going to give you the three cards. And I'm not going to give you any explanation, and you'll probably figure it out yourself. That's fine. So my top three cards are Nicobolas Dragon God at the top, followed by Snapcaster Mage, followed by Cryptbreaker. And that's all I'm going to say. Those are my top three cards. Uh, if we do like another Q&A, I would love Eldrazi Titan if you report again and give your report on what type of person I am. Just <laughs> not even what type of magic player, what type of person I am. A horrible person. I hate you. You're a Grixis <laughs> player. Uh, Matt, what about you? What are yours? All right, I'll do the same thing as Alex. I'll just give my top three. So Nissa, who shakes the world, obviously the best card ever printed. <clears throat> Heart of Kieran, and this is a card that I think a lot of people will hate me for saying, but Shaharazad. I love Shaharazad. I think it's a great card. All right, minor all. Pretty newer cards, but uh, Kethis the Hidden Hand, Hapatra Vizier of Poisons, Neheb the Eternal. Ooh. All right, so we would like to read your uh, like sociology analysis on us by about next week, and uh, we might be able to comment on it to see how uh, how correct you were. He can easily summarize what kind of person I am. With the flavor text of Neheb the Eternal. This is what glory looks like. <laughs> Great commander card. I've made a lot of rep mana with that. All right. Number, question number nine, which is um, by 
Octopotry. Sure. Um, any interesting fringe decks you've been trying out? Now, Matt, have you been playing anything spicy? I believe you said when you were going to play in the next event, you're not bringing mono green. Yeah, so I've been... This is actually... It's a fringe deck that I've talked about a few times. I've been really, really trying to make Boros artifacts work. So, specifically Boros equipment. So, I've been doing a lot of testing with that. I think that's pretty fringe because everybody knows Boros artifacts will never work. But that doesn't ever stop me from trying. Got any Resolute oh. Strikes in there? There are no Resolute Strikes. So, the, the oh. version that I'm playing, it relies on playing a Colossal Hammer or Colossus Hammer turn one. And then you, you can do whatever you want turn two, and then turn three you play Kazool's Toll Collector, and then just use that, put the Colossus Hammer on that, and now you've got a 13-12. Yeah, that guy's cheating, because he's a warrior, but he equips things to him for free, so he doesn't need Resolute Strike. Yeah. No, you Matt, don't you need no one mana instant. You were not here for the metagame analysis. There was a list in one of the challenges that was a Boros Hammer Time uh, deck that... Uh, to go and look at that list because that makes me happy. But it it, it only played Sigarda's aid to cheat. So it played a bunch of double strikers. It played the new one mana goblin that gets haste if he's equipped, and then Swift Blade, Swift Blade Vindicator, and Adorned Pouncer. And then with Sigarda's aid, it cheats it on and it hits your opponent for twenty. That's all the deck does. Yeah, that is a fun list. All right. So Brad, anything you've been working on? No, just Kethis is Kethis, and this just makes me sad. Um, we have another same Kethis old, same Kethis. old. Yeah, we have another player in the in the in the uh, Discord server uh, who also plays it, and he has a bit different of a version than I do. Um, I think they both function pretty similarly. Uh, his is probably a little bit better of a backup plan because um, he focuses on like uh, Stone Cold Serpent and things like that instead of like Mox Amber. But ultimately, the the lists are they're they're hard to do anything in this kind of meta, this that kind of deck that's so narrow. They're not gonna be Kethis because Kethis was so good at what it does for how it wins, and also really resilient. And you had all the tools to like fight through the hate. For this list, it's not quite the same way. There's not as many lines of play you can take to try and get to your win condition, unlike Kethis. Yeah, I've been playing against you and the other player on my server, and the the list is definitely much more fragile yeah, than, um, it, than it used to be. So it's very easy to buy time against the deck. I mean, otherwise, there hasn't really been anything I've been brewing up. Like, I still play... I play Wreck. I'm going to be transitioning to a four-color Wreck with Omnath. It's not very um, fringe. <laughs> not, no, it's not. But uh, mine's a, a different list, I guess. I, I am running the Torrential Gear Hulk since the Bioepiphany Epiphany of mine, even though I am still playing the Red. Um, again, not fringe. Wreck is the furthest thing from being fringe. But you can't but, get enough of the Gearhulk meme. Dude, it's so good. Um, it's so good. And you can just side it out. It's not a big deal. You can bring in all your uh, anger of the gods and whatnot. But yeah, that's, a, that's about it. Alright, so I've been playing uh, what I dubbed Huge Red. So there's Big Red that tops at Glorybringer. But what if Glorybringer is one of the smallest creatures in your deck? And you use Vessel of Nascency and Iron Crack Feet to turbo out turn th literally turn three Ugin, uh, turn three Chandra Awaken Inferno against control decks, um, turn yeah even turn three Glorybringer, but that's without Iron Crack Feet. 
Uh, it runs all uh, just a bunch of sweepers, Mizium Mortars. So if you have a million mana, you just overload a Mizium Mortars. Uh, it runs Yudaro. It just turbos out giant cards. And funnily enough, it's better than it sounds. I've been playing and tuning it for the past week, and I think this deck might legitimately have potential. I don't think it's going to be tier one, but if tuned, I could easily see this 5 0 league. Like, I'm a. I'm quite a, a fan of this deck, actually. I think it's great. I am still interested in building the uh, the four-color uh, elementals list, um, just with the new oh, Omnath. Proxy it up, Brad. Get on with it. <laughs> That's so much effort, though. I have to like get a Sharpie out, or I got to get a printer out. Like, Good God. <laughs> I had to handwrite the big red deck list because I wanted to print it out, but I think the deck list was so spicy, it broke my printer. So I had to write <laughs> it by hand. <laughs> I Your wanted to print it fire. and my printer gave an error and it hasn't stopped giving the error and it's now at a repair shop but it's been there for two days because they can't fix the error <laughs> so I think I messed up I think my brew was too spicy so oh, I think I'm just going to have to keep this written by hand and then eventually buy it alright um, so going into the second to last question unless there's something you want to add Brett nope I thought we only had one more question never mind there's, uh, there's two more. Okay. So question number 10 is by... Wait. Ace D... Ace Dickadvocado? Oh, uh, he's a guy on the server. I say Ace Dickadvocado. Ace Dickadvocado. We'll keep it at that. Uh, I don't want my dick in avocado. I'm sorry. Yeah, you're probably going to have to bleep these out, Brad. Uh, <laughs> just, so <laughs> if you don't know your name... You can't hear your name because it keeps being bleeped out. You know who you are. Um, but is deck dive? Oh yeah, only bleep second. out the middle part, so it'll be yeah. ace bleep avocado. ace bleep avocado. No, I'm just gonna say fucking avocado. How about that? We'll bleep out bleep, all bleep, bleep, that. Bleep, 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 bleep. This is gonna be like Morse code at one point in this section. <laughs> um, so the question is: Is deck diversity in Pioneer the same as before Theros Beyond Death? I enjoyed the anything-is-possible feel of the format when it was starting, and I wonder how diverse Pioneer is as a format. Now, I think you can do a lot in Pioneer. Yeah. Now, sure, if you want to be at the top, the top, the creme de la creme, the decks are kind of spelled out for you. You know, Omnath Piles, Wilderness Reclamation, Fires, Mono Black Aggro, that sort of thing. Like, sure. But if you are fine with having a 51% win rate instead of a 54% win rate or something, I think there is a lot you can do in Pioneer. Now, it's not the, the beginning of the format, right? At the beginning of the format, people were casting cards that we now look at, and it's like, my God, these cards are so bad because nobody had a clue what they were doing. And mm -hmm. we're definitely past that stage. But I can tell you, as someone who keeps building like weird decks having like mono blue power stone shard combo grixis control elves huge red there is a lot of brewing and a lot of fun to be had with fringer decks too i think yeah you still have all of these powerful cards like you mentioned elves for example elves plays collect the company that is a very good card, and you can just win games with that alone and the fact that the elves can kind of come out and do their thing. Um, Glass Cannon is sure, but winnable, yeah. Like, it's just... I don't agree with the idea that 
Pioneer isn't diverse. Um, it's not necessarily the brewer's paradise it once was. I think it's still definitely brewer friendly. Um, and you can definitely create as many different decks as you want. Um, you mentioned a Power Stone Shard combo deck. It's horrible. Yes. It's so bad. It's not. It's fine. It's not it's, tier one. Okay, it's not yeah, tier two. I, but it functions. It's yes, fine. Yes, it functions. But like, I have beat the other Kethis combo player in a best <laughs> of three. So it might just be better than Kethis because it's also a glass cannon. So. But the fact that you can play that deck and still steal games with it, um, yeah. is is you know it speaks like, to the format. Exactly. Like the deck is like a it, it's like a weird evolution of a standard brew from two years ago, and just looking into the format and finding weird cards that people have never even seen before. Like apparently, Voltaic Key is legal in Pioneer, because for there was a Chromatic Key or whatever was printed in M20. Right, so there's probably even still unexplored decks out there. Right, how people can still come up with decks in modern now, even though it's been yeah. so many years. Like you look at Death Shadow, and that that yeah, card brew was, away, man. Yeah, Death Shadow existed for it was what almost four or five years until it actually became a deck in modern. And uh, Matt, you probably know more about this. Don't we have like some sort of event every once in a while where people can submit deck lists on the server and we just brew together? What's that called again? Yeah. So about once a month. A guy that we have on the server, he's actually one of my admins. His name is Nameless on the server. He hosts a deck building lab, and it's for any format. Pioneer, Standard, Commander, Modern, any format you want. You submit your list. It doesn't even have to be a full list. You can just submit a shell or even just an idea for the list. You can just say, I want to build a Boros equipment list in Pioneer. And then everybody who submits a list, and even people who don't, will get together in a group chat. And we will work on the list and try to build you the best list that we can by sort of crowdsourcing it out, which is really fun to do. It's always a fun time whenever we do it. You always get sort of interesting and fun ideas that, you know, some people may never think of, which is why the crowdsourcing really helps is because you may not even realize a card exists. And then somebody else is like, why aren't you using this? And you're like, I don't know why I'm not using it. I saw it before. So, I mean, yeah. like I said, maybe, uh, Ace Bleep Focado and Uncle Drew can come together and submit the idea of the Death Shadow style deck with Scourge and just release it to the hive mind. We have hundreds of people on the server. So, uh, I just want Hapatra to be a viable deck in Pioneer. Dude, I love that card so much and I tried making it work before, but like it turns out making three scarabs and a, and a Death Touch Snake on turn three isn't that good. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think out of what I would call the big three formats, maybe somebody else has a disagreement, but I would say the big three formats are Pioneer, Modern, Standard. Yeah, they're the supported ones, the main one, supported competitive And format. so I would say out of those three, Pioneer is probably the most diverse right now. I mean, Standard you can't really count right now because we're in a brand new Standard, so people are still trying to figure out the metagame. But... Modern is definitely not very diverse. There are four or five decks that you play, and if you don't play them, you don't win. Whereas Pioneer, like you guys have been saying, you can bring just piles to the table, and you might not win every game, but you can sneak in some wins just by being sneaky. I do know Modern was very diverse like a few months ago, and Modern goes through periods of being brilliant, but I, I wouldn't be able to call right now. 
I know it's it, it's had its periods where it was god awful to play, and it's had its Brewers Paradise minutes. But I think Pioneer kind of has the same deal. Yeah, and that's why I prefaced it by saying right now. Yeah, Pioneer yeah, and I also think Pioneer still has the point where there's probably more unexplored territory. Yeah. And also, I mean, we're seeing every week some new deck that we never thought of is winning a league or winning, you know, winning on Moto. So, I mean, that just shows how diverse it is. It's like every week there's a new deck to talk about. Keeps us busy. I love it. Yeah, I love it too. It gives us content. All right. So going into the last question, and I have to quickly look this up. Where did I see this? By Lorwyn Lolmage, flavorful name. Um, he says, uh, he or she, sorry, they, let's keep it proper, they asked the question, how would you recommend someone um, who can't keep up with paper in Pioneer? Would you recommend me buying into anything or just wait until later? Well, we'll, start, I think... with the, we'll start with the second uh, question first, I think. Yeah. Um... Would you recommend me buying into anything? Only if you have exp uh, exp this disposable, expendable, whatever adjective you want to use, uh, income, and you feel comfortable in doing so and understanding that anything you might buy into could not be tier one. Like, it, it, you have to figure out what is your aspiration of getting into Pioneer. Do you just want to have fun, play the, play the format and enjoy yourself? Or do you want to, like, you know, have a little bit of that spikiness and play a top tier deck? Um, and I'd say just do whatever makes you happy. Do whatever sounds fun to you. Pick a deck that is right up your alley. And if it's on the competitive list or in the top meta decks, um, great. If not, I mean, doesn't have to be. We just talked about, you know, the uh, diversity of Pioneer and what you can make. Um, and brewing is part of the fun of magic. So I think just unless you really, really want the cards in person uh you don't really need to buy anything probably just proxy it up yeah right like and that's as i said if you have disposable income if you want to support your lgs you know i'm definitely buying cards when i quote unquote don't need them because we just proxy on the server if we need to but you know i want to support my lgs i pre-order cards because you know, I have that income to have some money to spend on magic, even when I don't really get the quote unquote return investment. If you don't, don't bank, you know, it's they're unsure, uncertain times. Don't, you know, stress your money over paper, right? Yeah. What I'll say in regards to the second question is just more general. If you're already into Magic the Gathering, I always say, if you're looking to buy into Magic, wait until about a month after the net, after the set comes out. So with Zendikar Rising just about to come out, I wouldn't buy into it right this second. Because we might see a big shift, and then you've bought a deck that was Tier 1, and now it's fallen because of the new set. And then you feel like you've wasted your money. So that's what I would say if you're already into Magic. Now, if you're brand new to Magic and you're trying to get in, I think pre-release kits are the best way to get into Magic. Like, if you're brand new to the game, I think buying a pre-release kit and seeing what you can do with the cards you get is a really fun way to learn how to build a deck in Magic and also just have fun playing with it. Yeah, I think or, I think limited in general is the best way to get into Magic. If yeah, but this person did ask about Pioneer. 
Yeah, so it I doesn't seem say, like they're new. Um, get or if you want to be more conservative with your money, get into Pioneer, play some cool decks. Look at there's plenty of budget decks to find in videos. Uh, obviously, MTG Goldfish always is the budget series. There's great decks there. Um, I've ser- definitely seen people on the server ask like, "Hey, you know, can anyone help me?" I think last week I saw someone's like, "I want to play Blue White Control, but Shark Typhoon is twenty bucks each. Help me." build with an alternative and that means you're not going to get like the 100 percent power decks but there's there's options right you don't have to break your bank for a fun and good and competitive pioneer deck exactly. you can you can also do sort of what i like to do which is i'm slowly buying into mono green so i had some of the cards and then just every time i have some extra money i just buy a couple of the cards you don't have to buy all or nothing right away if you're if you're pretty confident that the deck you want is going to stick around for a while you can just buy it piece by piece and yeah you won't be full power right away but over time buy a shark typhoon here buy you know an aether gust there whatever you can buy and then over time you'll have the full deck and it's very satisfying when you do that's how i built my first competitive deck like every month i would spend like like 20 bucks on it 30 bucks yeah. on it and then after half a year or something, I have my full deck, and it felt great. <laughs> now, getting into the first part of the question, how would you recommend someone who can't play keep up with Paper Pioneer? That's really easy. You're doing it right now by listening to this podcast. Yeah, come on down and play in the MDG at Home Discord server. Well, they specifically asked if they can't play. Oh, so they can't uh, I assume with can't play, I would assume they mean they can't play in Paper? I, it could be taken either way because some people don't have webcams. That's fair. So then, yeah, to quickly touch on that, well, I mean, you can always be in the Discord and just chat about chat about the format, chat about the game. Uh, but yeah, you're listening to the podcast right now. There's plenty of other podcasts out there. One I would recommend, which probably a lot of you also listen to, is the Pioneer Cast with Ross Miriam and uh, Tang Grace. Uh, yeah. Tan and Grace, sorry. Um, every Probably like every other week on average, they play Pioneer on Versus Live. That's probably a good place to start. Uh, they're streamers. We interviewed uh, Doomwake uh, a couple of weeks ago. He, he occasionally streams Pioneer too. He's been streaming a lot of Modern, I think, recently, but does Pioneer. Todd Anderson, Todd Anderson is a good Pioneer streamer. Uh, also very good at answering your questions about the format. So that's one person I'd go to. There's also another podcast I discovered very recently. It's called The Midweek Metagame, and they talk about, they every Wednesday, I think it is, they release an episode, and they it's more than just Pioneer, but they talk Pioneer, Modern, Standard, and just all the decks that we're seeing in the meta for that week. So basically what we do at the beginning of every episode, think of a whole episode devoted just to that every single week. And uh, The Dive Down too is a podcast I listen to pretty much every week. Yeah, and whenever they bring I, I on, tend to, um, I tend to skip the modern track. things, but I tend to just listen to the pioneer and the spoilers and the general magic talk. But they're great; they're they're a fun bunch. Of, I really enjoy listening to the pioneer and uh, the the uh, the dive down. They give me a good laugh. And if you really do just want to sit down and talk to somebody about pioneer, come on in and join the server. You don't have to play a game. We have plenty of people on the server who don't play; they just are here to talk, and yep. you can a conversation going yeah. in or our if you game. see people wanting to play a game you can always just ask like can i spectate and i've i've never seen anyone say no to that 
Like, hey, can I spectate, watch your game, chat a bit? Yeah, sure. You know, I think most people would agree that you're not just on on this Discord to play for the magic. You're also here for the gathering, which a lot of people miss online. And now, sure, it's not like you're playing paper magic in an LGS, but it's a hell of a lot more gathering than playing Modo. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, but ending on a happy note, we're optimistic about Pioneer as always. We love this format. We love talking to people about it. We always want people to get in and you know interact with us, just like Matt said, hop in the server. Um, and uh, yeah, I know you have uh, have bed to to go to, Alex. Um, you got to get up early for work tomorrow. Yes, yeah, I, just, I will uh, uh, deal on my about seven hours sleep. I think Matt wants to do a quick uh, a quick announcement too before we yeah. end up. Yeah, and this actually goes into what we were just talking about. How do you keep up with the Pioneer? We are streaming our bi-monthly Pioneer Invitational this Saturday. I will actually be playing in it, so I won't be commentating. But Matt, who, who's going to be casting this, this wonderful stream? We're going to be our handsome hosts for this, uh, this yes. event. Our handsome host, Brad, and our Dirty Grixis player, Alex, will be <laughs> providing color commentary for many of the games, so you can check that out. It'll be streamed on Twitch, which is uh, Twitch TV, twitch.tv slash magic at home. And I'm sure Brad will put a link in the description Yep, that you can click. So come on over, watch the top eight players from our server play some Pioneer against each other. Yep, and that will be coming on uh, this Saturday, which will be the 26th at 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. You can figure out what that is for your respective time zone. It's uh, 10 for... for the Netherlands, 9 for Britain, roughly that time. And four for uh, for the East Coast. And uh, if you're Mountain Time, I'm sorry, no one cares about you. That's just how it is. <laughs> I still don't really know what Mountain Time is, but I'll figure that out. It's a time. joke. It doesn't exist. <laughs> oh wait, it doesn't exist. <laughs> I had heard it referenced before. No, I'm no, like, it, no, it, it, it. I promise you, it's it, it, it is, it is a thing. But it's just there. It, it as far as know, there are like three states that use it. It's basically, <laughs> does your state have the Rockies going through it? If the answer is yes, you're mountain time. If the answer is no, you're either central or... Ah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's silly. Um, See, we're still on the road of me learning about America. Uh, yeah, and I just want to thank everyone in, uh, for, the Reddit, uh, for the Reddit post and everyone's questions and feedback that they always give us. And not just that particular Q&A post, but just in general, we always receive great feedback from everyone in the community, as well as the uh, community members within the MTGA Home Discord server as well. Um, follow our account on Twitter. It's uh, at Pio Perspective. Um, kind of get updates on our own, uh, kind of when we're going to be releasing content and anything extra from there. Uh, we're trying to be more active in that regard as well. Um, but yeah, like, like always, thank you so much for listening. Just thank you so much for allowing us to be a part of your magic lives. And uh, we hope to have you listen to us again next week. Goodbye, guys. Bye bye. See ya.